This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Con Podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Jerkins, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 270. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Steph. And this is Ian. And we're bringing the latest comic news and the comic book... And the latest news and a single comic book review from the past two weeks, um, which would include everything from March 17th through March 30th. Um, we have a total of, like I said, one book to cover. We have the, the ginormous Detective Comics number 1000, which I think... As I was telling my co-host earlier, I think this marks the the largest book we have ever, the largest single issue we have ever reviewed here on the podcast in the history of this entire podcast over the past 11 plus years. So we're going to dive into that. We do have a little bit of news from the past two weeks, um, as well as the solicitations. We do have some listener comments, so I can't honestly promise that we're going to get to so many any monkey watches, but if we have time, we will certainly get to some monkey watches. Uh, and I, I can assure you the discussion questions are not coming this time outside of the comments from our listeners. But with that being said, let's dive into the news. So the first thing we've got is technically before we recorded the last episode, solicitations for June had released because for whatever reason, DC decided to release them on Friday instead of Monday, like they typically do. Um, and for whatever reason, even though they were released, I didn't really want to, well, to be honest, I didn't have time to prepare, you know, any sort of analysis of the solicitations or get, you know, the article written up before we were going to record in just a few days after they released. So it just didn't happen. So this time around we have them. So even though they did release on March 15th, we are still covering them on this episode. So Basically, the gist of June, if you want its synopsis, if you want a summarization of what to expect in June, it's a lot of the same with uh, just one new series that uh, we at TBU will be covering. But uh, the big thing that's coming in June is a new mini series that is focusing on uh, Brian Michael Bendis' story involving Leviathan and a lot of the other secret organizations within the DC Universe, including the DEO. Uh, Task Force X, uh, Argus, um, let's see what else, Spiral, uh, I know there's a bunch more, but anyway, the point is it's, it's supposed to be including a lot of that. Batman is supposed to have a huge focus as well as some other characters from the DC Universe. It's going to be a big mystery. Um, it's being described as like a you know a mystery thriller type story. Uh, we will be covering that on TBU. 
So that's the one that's actually in some ways taking the place of Heroes in Crisis because Heroes in Crisis is wrapping up in May. Um, but this new series is kicking off immediately in June, so it kind of takes that slot. Uh, the other highlighted release for the month is the advance listed for the upcoming DC Inc. title, Harley Quinn Breaking Glass. The new title will actually hit stores at the end of August, but as it has become a very normal thing for the DC Inc. and DC Zoom titles, it's being advance listed a couple months in advance. Um, in addition to that, noteworthy mentions for the month, artist Kyle Hotz, I am sure I'm saying that wrong, will be attached to Detective Comics number 1006 as the Arkham Knight story wraps in number 1005. Hotz appears to be on the title for a single issue as the solicit for 1006 states it will feature the Spectre in what appears to be a one-off story. The Batman Who Laughs miniseries comes to an end in June, and there have been multiple reports that the character will be appearing somewhere else in the near future, um, so fans of the diabolical version of Batman may not have to wait long to see him reappear. It's also worth noting that outside of Kyle Hotz coming on to Detective Comics for a single issue, there is only one other creative switch for the month of May. Young Justice will see John Timms and Elena Casagrande on the sixth issue of the series, and while it's unknown if they are coming on for a single issue or an arc, or if they're going to be a team that's going to rotate on the series, Patrick Gleason is taking the month off after working on the first five issues. Outside of our normal coverage, there is very little to note as far as the involvement of TBU characters elsewhere. Um, it used to be a mainstay in our, our uh, solicitation roundup of all the stuff that would be happening. We constantly be seeing TBU characters popping up in other books and guest appearances. But it seems that uh, with TBU's coverage of Deathstroke ending in May, the normal series will head out of its involvement with the Batman Universe for the first time in over a year this coming June. Action Comics promises to be tied to the event a lot, Leviathan story, as it has also been setting up the story for months as well. Currently, it's still setting up that story. So if you'd like to see the full list of solicitations that are coming for June, we have everything that we here at TBU will be covering um, in great detail and... Uh, there's also a, a gallery that features a variety of some of the variants and main covers for some of the books that you guys can check out. So head over to the site and look under the comic news category for that article. Anybody looking forward to Event Leviathan? The cast of characters is pretty exciting to me. Um, I have a mixed experience with Bendis writing events. I have liked a lot of what he's doing in action that seems to be leading directly to Event Leviathan, but I'm not sure how the actual series is going to go. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm really excited about some of the spinoffs, like um, Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen are a big excitement for me. And I'm hoping we get a Manhunter spinoff because Manhunter is supposed to be uh, a character in that. Kate Spencer, by the way, not Martian Manhunter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, there's just so much unknown, so much that could go right or could go wrong. I'm just sort of, I guess, cautiously anticipating. I don't really know what's going on with that, so it'll just all be a big surprise. Yeah, to be fair, I'm, I, I'm... Looking forward to it, mostly because I like mystery thrillers, um, I like suspense, and I feel like this is going to kind of be that version of it. Heroes in Crisis, I wouldn't say is necessarily not that, but 
and not not to, and I also have to point out it's not to say that that series was ever meant to be that either. It just it feels like the mystery that is surrounding Heroes in Crisis is more. I don't know how to put it. Like it's weaving mystery, but it doesn't actually feel like there is a mystery. If, if that makes sense, um, there is clearly something going on, but the mis- the mystery element of it just feels like let's accuse somebody else of doing it, and then a couple of people are trying to figure out what's actually going on, but nobody's actually talking about what's actually going on or them deducing what's going on or anything like that. So I was I kind of had higher hopes for. Heroes in Crisis as far as the mystery element of it, but it just feels like we keep seeing recaps of things that have happened in the past, but I mean, and, and, and this is, of course, <laughs> this could all be changed once the series actually wraps in May, but it, it, it does feel like we're just getting bits and pieces, and maybe as a story, you know, as a larger story altogether, it'll make sense, and these bits and pieces have been hinting at things, I don't even really see that much analysis online about like whether or not there's that much, you know, I, I don't really see, see, it doesn't really seem like people are super into what's going on with heroes in crisis. And the, the fact that like, nobody's really trying to come up with hey, maybe there's clues here. Maybe they've been setting up, you know, these, uh, these things, like it doesn't really seem like the series is generating the buzz that really seemed like it was supposed to get, you know, going into this. Yeah, I'd agree. I think Heroes in Crisis has been torn by two different ideas. One is Tom King wanted to tell a story about Sanctuary, about trauma and heroes, and DC Editorial wanted an event. And I don't think those two things work too well together. Um, And other than the first issue where everybody's dead, I don't think there's a lot of like new events that are really exciting. I mean, obviously I'm interested in talking about it because I wrote a whole article about it and um, Stella's done some really good talking about the portrayal of Batgirl in it. And so there's, there's people talking about it, but it's not the kind of event where there's like a cliffhanger each issue where you really don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I'm not like on the edge of my seat. Oh my goodness. I have to know next second what's going to happen. Yeah. I think the, the biggest thing is, you know, when you pick up your books for the week, if heroes and crisis is on your pull list, are you picking up that book first? Or are you picking up something else? And to be fair, I did not pick up heroes and crisis first uh, when it released that the week that it released, because it just happened to release the same week as detective comics number 1000. So that was kind of a loaded week, no matter what, I was going to pick up Detective Comics 1000 first and read that. But at the same time, it just doesn't, it's, you know, I I want to know what happens in the book. I'm still following along. I'm still paying attention to what's going on. But I just, I feel like it was hyped probably more than it probably should have. And Tom King's, you know, telling the story that he wants to tell, which is fine. I don't have anything necessarily wrong with the story. I just feel like it was probably hyped in the wrong way or marketed in this in the wrong way i agree but you know marketing is always a mess <laughs> yes especially in the comic book world the bait and switch still applies the, to that that industry oh my goodness all right so the next uh, bit of information or bit of news we had was on march 28th dc announced the deluxe edition of the historic detective comics number 1000 this of course was 
not no joke, the day after the uh, issue released in stores. Um, but the deluxe edition is going to be a hardcover. It's going to hit, hit comic stores on June 12th and arrive everywhere else on June 18th. Um, the deluxe edition will include over 30 retailer variants and a new original story written by Robert Vendetti and art by Steven Segovia. Uh, the P, uh, there's a piece of art that you can see from the story. The story is called Table for Two. Um, that is over on the site for you to check out if you're interested in that. The 168-page collection uh, will be found. Will include, like I said, all of the the retailer variants, but also it'll include the you know every single story that was originally in the the normal release by itself. But uh, to to be honest, I'm I'm planning on picking this deluxe edition up because it gives me the ability to get all of those variants without having to spend a ridiculous amount of money. I'm planning on doing exactly the same thing because I also got Action 1000 to get all the covers. And there's a lot of covers like Patrick Gleason and um, uh, Nicholas Scott who, you know, they're parallels or they're complementary covers. And I just really like the idea of having those to, to look at next to each other. All right. And then our final bit of news also comes on March 28th. Uh, DC announced the new digital first series that will be based on the new version of DC Superhero Girls. If you were unaware... Uh, DC Superhero Girls got kind of like a rebranding. I wouldn't say a reboot, but it kind of is a reboot. Um, they are focusing on a very select group of, of uh, new characters. Not not all new, but some of the same, like Wonder Woman, Supergirl, and uh, Batgirl are still there. But the, uh, Jessica Cruz takes a more center stage. Also, Zatanna is also part of the, the new team. Bumblebee was originally part of the... And not that these other characters didn't appear, but... There's a new version of DC Supergirls that they're specifically focusing on because a new TV television series launched on Cartoon Network uh, just in the last couple of weeks. And they have embraced this with making sure that there is a new comic series. Um, there previously was, you know, different graphic novels that had, had released for the previous incarnation of DC Superhero Girls. Um, but now they're going full on with the new version and there is a new digital first series that is made up of 14 chapters. We'll release every single week. The first chapter is available as we speak. As you're listening to this, the second chapter will be available as well. It specifically deals with the Metropolis Science Fair, because if you are unaware, all of the heroes happen to live in Metropolis. Um, and it deals with Zatanna, who is not really liking the fact that science contradicts a lot of what she deals with with the magic so uh we have a preview of the first chapter over on the site if you are interested in checking that out and then obviously like i said new chapters are releasing i think every thursday going forward for at least the next 13 weeks while the rest of these issues release or the rest of the chapters release so that is something you can look forward to, or or as I'd like to uh, plug, if you have a young daughter or a niece or any young girl in your life that you would like to share comics with, this is a good way of getting her introduced into it. And it's not just for girls, too. It could be for boys as well. But uh, personally, I think that it, it's a great thing to get younger audiences involved in with these characters, especially if they're watching the cartoon or they're interested in superheroes in general. All right, so with that, that is all of our news. Now we're going to jump into, like I said, the largest book we have ever covered. So obviously, um, 
This is Detective Comics number 1000. There, there's a total of 11 stories inside of the issue, and then there's some supplemental material, which we'll talk about at the very end. But because this is basically an anthology um, collection of stories, we're going to specifically focus on each individual story. We're going to kind of break up the review process a little bit differently. We're going to review, I'm going to read those. I'm going to go over the synopsis for each story, give you, you know, the main uh, artist and, and writer who is attached to it. Then we're going to dive straight into our review part of just that specific story. And then at the end, we'll give a rating um, to each story. We'll be giving a thumbs up, thumbs down or a neutral rating to, and then at the very end, after we talk about some of the supplemental material, which is the original art that was in the issue, we'll then give a overall rating to the entire book as our normal number rating and battering. So um, without further ado, let's dive into Detective Comics. The first story is called Batman's Longest Case, and this one was written by Scott Snyder with art by Greg Capullo. Tonight, Batman is working his first case. It began as he was examining the crime scene involving a businessman who was supposedly killed by his son. He noticed the victim's museum piece had been replaced with forgery. He first thought the theft was part of the motive for killing. The forgery came from a foundry in Japan. He checked the computers in the foundry to see if there were any records. He noticed the computer was hacked the previous day. He was surprised because the malware left behind made the computer searches faster. The malware led him to Egypt. It specifically led him to a tomb in the Old Kingdom. He noticed that there was a hidden code in the hieroglyphics on the wall. And his search continued across the world, from the snow peaks on the mountains to a sunken ship in the Pacific. He followed each and every clue. These clues led him back to an apartment in Gotham. Once inside, he finds a hidden entrance behind a bookcase. Upon entry, he finds a welcoming party waiting for him, consisting of Martian Manhunter, the question, Detective Chimp, Hawkgirl, Hawkman, and others. This group, called the Guild of Detection, has been waiting for him for a while. They explain that they are an elite group of detectives who help solve mysteries of the universe. In order for Batman to become a member of the Guild, he had to solve this near-impossible case. And with that, the world's greatest detective is now part of the most elite group of detectives in the universe. All right, so this first story. Um, well, I have to say, it's awesome to see Detective Chimp popping up in Detective Comics. Um, outside of that, it's an interesting story. I mean, very, very detective-based story, which I obviously like to see in a book called Detective Comics. It is slightly outside of the ordinary story that we would typically see from Scott Snyder, mostly because we don't tend to see a lot of one-and-done type stories from Snyder. But that's not obviously necessarily saying that he isn't going to follow this up in some way, shape, or form at some point. I mean, he could pick this back up in his Justice League series if he really wanted to. Um, but the question I wanted to pose to you guys was the Guild of Detection. Do you think that this is something that hypothetically... Okay, it's kind of a loaded question. But do you think something like this would hypothetically exist within the DC universe? And do you think it would have taken this long for them to decide to have Batman on the team? Yes and no. <laughs> yes. I think it makes sense that something like this exists. I mean, people who love detective stuff, like, I mean, I'm stereotyping a group of people. I don't really know, but you know, I like Miss Marple. I like Poirot and you know, you like to talk to people about it and you like to, 
almost brag a little that you figured something out or work together with people that that you you're having trouble figuring out and you need you know someone else's viewpoint on it and it seems like this is a fairly eclectic group of people that could work together to figure things out so it makes sense that it exists doesn't make sense that one it would take batman that long to figure it out and two are they like in gotham and he just didn't know it is yeah, it like court of owls all over again <laughs> It's another secret organization that he didn't know about that's been meeting for years and Slam Flippin' Bradley is a part of it and Batman isn't? I'm sorry, that's a little ridiculous. I, I wrote notes down for my initial initial uh, responses to finishing each story and WTH was what I wrote down when I finished this story. <laughs> I think there's... I kind of hope that it's not a real thing in the DC universe, just because Snyder plays with the tropes of um, the secret society that's been around forever that Batman doesn't know about. This would be the uh, <laughs> the let's see. So this would be the second one that Snyder did specifically, but he also had a hand with training James Tynan, and James Tynan also created the Colony. So there'd be the third one that he has no clue exists in the whole world. Uh, and then there's League of Shadows, so fourth. So um, I kind of read this story more as like a tribute, because Slam Bradley was one of the first detectives in Detective Comics before Batman even existed. Um, mm-hmm. And all these other characters, like Elongated Man, Ralph and Sue Dibney, uh, they were you know in backup features in Detective Comics for a long time. So I read it more symbolically. It's it's a tribute to the entire history of Detective Comics, the title, and that's why you have all these characters. Obviously, Batman's the most popular and the most compelling, so he was the viewpoint character. But the idea that he's invited late, while I don't think it makes sense in uh, from a story perspective, um, like for one thing, I don't think he would take this long to figure it out, and I don't think he would be as surprised... Like. He walks into the room, he's like, I have no clue what's going on. He has no idea. <laughs> um, but the idea that, you know, he didn't come to Detective Comics until issue 27. I mean, that's two full years after the, the title starts. So um, I think that's sort of what Snyder's doing symbolically. And I, I thought that was fun. I had forgotten about Slime Bradley being in Detective Comics before Batman. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, so, so here's the thing. Um, I, I I wanted to get your guys' thoughts before I kind of potentially influence your your uh, thought process <laughs> here. But uh, when I read this story, or I, I shouldn't say it, it was even when I read this story, there was a preview of this of this story that was posted online, and I remember um, seeing the preview and the article that was attached to it was like, "Oh, Snyder's going to introduce this new group of detectives within." you know, within his story, it's, you know, the first time we've ever seen this character, this, this group and the preview didn't tell the entire story, but this is the entire story. Now, the weird part about it is that when the actual team is revealed and I'm seeing who it is, coincidentally, just a couple of days prior to this, my children were watching the film Scooby-Doo and Batman Brave and the Bold. Now, if you've never seen the film, I'm not going to blame you. I know that not everybody watches every animated film. Uh, my household watches a lot of them because I've got three children. So in the movie itself, there is a group of characters that is called the Mystery Analysts of Gotham. 
And amongst this group in Scooby-Doo, um, this group is actually based off of a, a, a group of characters that first appeared in the Scooby-Doo team-up, um, the, the comic series. And in the comic series, the team consisted of Ace the Bat Hound, Batman, Dr. 13, Jason Bard, Johnny Double, Slam Bradley, uh, Robin, and then some uh, Detective Chimp used to be on the team. There's some other characters. In the movie version of the of the team, it, it includes Martian Manhunter. Martian Manhunter. Um, it also includes um, some other characters. But the the point is that uh, Detective Chimp is also on the team, which is why I was paying attention. But uh, the team is is very similar in nature. Now, a little bit further analysis per se um, of this team turns out. There is actually that it's not something that originated in the Scooby-Doo universe, but there's a team that was in Gotham City called the Mystery Analysts of Gotham City that dates all the way back to Batman number 164. This team consisted of Batman, Commissioner Gordon was on there, Jimmy Olsen at some point was on the team as an honorary member, Clark Kent was actually on the team, and this was basically just a team of people within Gotham City that were crack detectives. Um, So again, this idea of a secret organization that's, you know, these great detectives, it dates back to Batman 164, which... For those of you who are curious, that came out all the way back in 1964. Then a Scooby-Doo comic picked up the exact same team and decided to make their own version of it, which then got translated into a team that was on a Scooby-Doo animated film just uh, that, that released just last year in 2018. And then coincidentally enough, there's a team that is not only based in Gotham, but also includes some of the same characters as some of these other teams that just happens to be called something different. So while it is exactly the same as some of these other incarnations of this detective type team, there is suddenly a new team that Batman was not ever a member of that is, that is, and now he is. Um, and I'm not sitting here trying to claim that, that Scott Snyder like stole the idea from a Scooby-Doo animated movie or the original Batman 164. And to be clear, the team did pop up in other issues outside of Batman 164, but it's one of those things where this is not necessarily a brand new idea. The idea when I initially saw it, I was like, Oh, okay. That's kind of cool. You got the, 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 not just the world's greatest detectives, but the universe's greatest detectives. Okay, cool. (laughs) It's a, it's not a bad idea, but the issue is that like, Outside of potentially setting up something for Snyder, because they specifically say we solve the universe's greatest mysteries, and it's like, okay, that's cool, but unless there's a setup, we've already seen this before, and, and I'm sure there's plenty of people who have not seen this or have not seen any of those versions of this similar team that I've mentioned, but it is just slightly interesting and i guess it's one of those things where it pays to know a little bit more outside of the uh little bubble that is our normal comic continuity but yeah but did you like it i did not dislike it um and that that brings us to a perfect point and a segue to say i'm gonna give this one a i'm gonna give it a thumbs up i mean like i i still like the idea of this team it's more of a it's just, it doesn't, it, it just, the only concern I have with the story is it just isn't necessarily an original idea. 
but that doesn't detract me from enjoying the story because of what it is. I gave it a neutral just because I thought it was a waste of Batman's time and he spent years doing this. I don't know. I feel bad for the guy. I give it a neutral trending up because it is well-crafted, but as Dustin says, it's really not a terribly original idea. I don't think it really adds a ton to the mythology. I do appreciate in my reading that it's sort of a symbolic tribute to the history of the title detective comics. And I think that was intelligently done. I just, when I got done with this story, I was just like, that's it. It's fine. There's nothing that makes me upset. It's, is just not particularly exciting or memorable. All right. So um, our next story, story number two, is Manufacture for Use by writer Kevin Smith and artist Jim Lee. Bruce, undercover as Matches Malone, tells the attendant of a pawn shop that he is looking for a souvenir, a unique one which says Gotham. He mentions money is not an issue. The attendant tells him that he has what he's looking for, but he should come back at midnight. Bruce arrives later on, and the attendant tells him that this place is called the gift shop. This place has any and all things related to crime in Gotham City. Bruce asks if the man has what he is looking for. The man pulls out a handgun. This gun is the gun which was used in the murder of Thomas and Martha Wayne. Bruce gives him $1,500 for the piece and heads home. Bruce arrives back at the Batcave, and Alfred asks if he had found it. He tells Bruce that he does not mind having the giant penny and dinosaur in the Batcave, but he is not in favor of having the gun of uh, that, that, that took place uh, that, that actually killed Bruce's parents on display. Bruce tells him it's not going to be a trophy. Instead, this gun, which violently pierced the hearts of his parents, will be transformed into something greater. That which was used in malice will be used to preserve life. In front of Alfred, he melts the gun down and forges a metal plate um, and then attaches it to his bat suit, which then protects his heart. All right. So um, this story was it was interesting. Um, I guess uh, it was a little bit better than I expected it to be, mostly because I wasn't exactly sure what to expect because it was Kevin Smith. And as we all know, <laughs> Kevin Smith has a tendency to sometimes go completely out of left field. Um, I, I enjoyed the story, but I wondered, to, I wondered um, as far as the depiction of the art, because it was Jim Lee, it did feel like a massive showcase for Jim Lee just to do Batman versus whatever villain he wanted because a lot of it had nothing to do with the story itself. Did that detract the, did, did that situation with a lot of the art not having anything to do with the story, did any of that detract you from the story itself? You know what? The first time I read it a little bit, but then I went back knowing the ending and I read the, I went into this blind. So I forgot that Kevin Smith wrote the second story. So I actually very much enjoyed it without the, the, thought in the back of my mind is, okay, when is Batman going to pee himself? When, <laughs> when are we going to get the horrible backstory? Um, and then you go through and you read it again. They are not unrelated. Every single one of those is, it has to do with the story because you've got Joker Venom on, on his chest where the plate is. And then you've got uh, Penguin stabbing him in the chest with his umbrella where the plate is. And then you've got Freeze freezing him in the chest where, to be honest, that one doesn't make sense because metal is a good conductor, and it should freeze Batman. But anyway, that's where the predicted. And so each one of these images is showing how the plate has protected Batman over the years. So I actually went back and very much enjoyed the art 
knowing now what's what the point of it is, is 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 how the gun is protecting him and i thought that was a very clever use of the art and a very clever use of the gun seeing as how you know anytime we've ever seen the gun in the comics you know it's always either it is the trophy or it's something that batman uses so i thought this was actually very clever and very original I agree completely with Steph in terms of the way the art worked uh, mechanically. Um, I actually noticed it the first time through. I was like, wow, they're really highlighting the chest <laughs> of Batman. <laughs> so when uh, when I got to the end, I was like, that's why Jim Lee was always making sure that the chest was like central to the composition or where your eye was drawn. So I thought that was very intelligent. My biggest problem with the story was actually Kevin Smith's voice. And maybe it's just because I've listened to a lot of Kevin Smith, like on YouTube, like he does lectures or something. But the last several pages of the story just felt like Kevin Smith saying stuff. It didn't feel like Batman talking. Um, And like, I understand what he was trying to do. I just didn't hear Batman's voice there. I heard Kevin Smith's voice. So it was a little weird and so if you if you went in not knowing it was kevin smith maybe that would help but i yes i very much (laughs) knew this was kevin smith and it felt like him so i uh i was a little distracted by the random panels um eventually as as uh steph said i was in the same situation as her I, i went back and i realized oh okay that makes sense and i think it works from a from the point of view of you, if you know exactly what you know where you're, where it's going, then it makes perfect sense. Um, but I think that initially I was like, I don't understand. This doesn't feel like it has anything to even do with the dialogue. It didn't. It just didn't flow. Um, th- that being said, I still think it was an interesting story. Although to be clear, I I, I can't recall any version of Batman that's ever had a metal plate no. fastened <laughs> to the front of his bat suit. I mean, like I, you assume he's got something underneath his. You know, random, you know, his his top or his, his you know, Actually, the upper part of his bat suit. During Brett, Ed Brubaker's run on Batman in the early 2000s, just before um, Bruce Wayne Murderer, Brubaker did have Batman talk about how he did have extra armor underneath the shield because the shield was bright and yellow, so it attracted attention. So he mm. was deliberately trying to get them to attack there where there's armor because he couldn't wear a full suit of armor. Um, so this is actually sort of a, a refiguring of that old idea in the early two thousands. Well, I, I remember that too. I remember specifically that uh, not, not specifically the Ed Brubaker, but I think there was even something further back about the yellow, you know, because the yellow symbol has been there for a long time, way before Brubaker was on the book and the yellow symbol was always meant to be like a target. Um, and then the joke was always, well, that's why Robin was always wearing, you know, bright colors was he was the bigger target and then Batman could come and take out the criminals while they were going after Robin, which is not obviously true, but is the joke that everybody says. Um, but yeah, the, the yellow was always like, you know, I always remember the, the, the version of the target. I just don't remember anything about the, you know, an actual plate. Um, that's not to say that it couldn't be. I'm just saying like, I just don't ever remember it, seeing it the way it's drawn here. That's all. Um, well, the interview they did with, um, Jim Lee about this story is he was, I mean, I mean, he probably knows more than us about Batman, right? But he was saying that this is fairly original and like he, he had never really heard this story before. So it could be that it is new. <gasps> Which is entirely a new possible. Idea. Yeah. Or at least as far as Jim Lee goes. Yes, that's true. All right. So this story, I'm going to give this one a, 
Thumbs up. Thumbs up. I liked it a lot. Neutral trending up. All right. Our next story, story number three, is The Legend of Newt Brody by uh, writer Paul Dini, art by Dustin Wen. Here you thought I was just another bubble-headed blonde bimbo. Well, the joke's on you. I'm not even a real blonde. On a television, a documentary airs which explores the legend of the worst henchman in Gotham. A film crew went to every major crime lord in Gotham and interviewed them about their experience with Newt Brody. Brody. I'm probably saying it wrong. I would imagine it's Newt, but I I don't know. Uh, It is Brody, though. I know that. Uh, The crew interviewed Harley Quinn first, and she shares her experience with the, the henchman. She recounts a memory from her days with the Joker where she and the Joker were contracted by a corrupt congressman to go to a polling center and scare voters away from voting. Naturally, the Joker went overboard and decided to blow up every voting center in Gotham. Batman and Robin confronted the two, and the Joker gave Harley the detonator so she could escape with it. At this moment, Newt Brody goes to attack Robin with a baseball bat, only to hit Harley in the head and knock her out. Thus, Batman and Robin stop the Joker from detonating all the bombs. The crew next interviewed the Mad Hatter. He hired Brody to he hired Brody to look out for a heist. Unfortunately, he fell asleep, and the Hatter's crew was arrested. The Riddler was interviewed. He shared how Brody gave Batman the secret code to escape the Riddler's trap. Poison Ivy recounts how he burned her greenhouse to the ground. In the Batcave, Alfred, Bruce, Dick, and Barbara are all watching this documentary, laughing about how they each were Brody. As a tradition, each member infiltrated each crime lord's crew and brought them down from the inside by being the absolute worst henchman ever. Bruce comments that they should retire the identity now due to this documentary bringing attention to the character. However, Damien enters the cave and says it's his turn. Barbara sells him, tells him to go for it. All right. So this story, I, I mean, like, I honestly, I can't say I have a ton to say um, because it was a very quick story. Um, I enjoyed it a lot, though. I thought it was, you know, kind of like an original story involved the Bat family, which is always nice to see. Um, at the same time, there's just there's not a lot to it. So, you know, I don't have a lot to say. I mean, if you guys, do you guys have anything to say other, you know, other than whether or not you liked it or not? I felt like it wasn't as funny as it could have been. Like, I know Dini's stories, a lot of time they're filled with a lot of personality and a lot of quirkiness, but this was just, I don't know, I felt like it was a bunch of really lame, you had one jobs memes, but they weren't that funny. I don't know. I felt, I felt, I felt like it was a little bit of a chore to actually through the story. I don't know. It just didn't have a lot of oomph. And then, I mean, the payoff is really good, and when it turns out it's the Bat family, like, that I did, it did redeem the story for me a little bit, but I don't know. I I felt like it could have been funny, and it wasn't. For me. It wasn't my sense of humor. I don't know. I mean, it, it really worked for me. I... Yeah. I laughed a lot. I mean, even just hearing Dustin tell us the summary, I was, I was giggling about how... Um, the Joker and Harley were hired to scare away from one polling place, but they blew up all the polling places. And so just <laughs> the, the cartoonishness like Dini, I think did a really good job of just infusing all the characters with personality and, and warmth. Like you can tell he loves all of these characters. And so I, it worked for me um, really well. I mean, I was, well, I was disposed to like this. I know Steph also was disposed to like this. I, I imagine she was disappointed. But for mm-hmm. me, 
this was the kind of quirky off off the wall kind of thing that sort of fills in a small part of Gotham lore that we haven't looked at before that I really appreciate from Dini. Um, I don't think it like touched me deep inside or anything. And I know Dini can do that, but yeah. I think in terms of just an homage to what Dini is known for um, in Batman and sort of just, the, the togetherness, the, the cooperation of the Bat family, their, their sense of humor, the idea that Batman is supposed to be a fun character we love, as well as the dark, brooding knight. Uh, I really liked it. I think it's one of my top two favorites of the, the whole issue. So I, I think it is a good story. I can see how it might not work for everyone, but it worked for me very well. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I enjoyed the story as well. Um, I thought that it was a nice play on kind of like the, the 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 idea that you know matches Malone. Not necessarily that he's a horrible henchman, but he's well known. But he's obviously Batman in disguise or Bruce Wayne in disguise, and it, it just kind of plays on that. Um, the 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 only thing, the only criticism I had about the story was at the very end. Damien looked a little <laughs> too young. Yeah. Um, actually, like, and, and before I realized it was Damien, I was like, who is that kid? I don't understand who he is because it just, it did not look like Damien. Um, but I mean, that, it could that be was my only past. That's true. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, it could literally have taken place any time in the history of Batman, as long as Damien was around and Batgirl was able to be in the Batsuit. So, I mean, there's that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, overall, I, I enjoyed this story. I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but it's definitely up in probably the top three. Um, so I'd say thumbs up. Neutral. Thumbs up. <laughs> All right. Story number four. The Batman's Design by writer Warren Ellis with art by Becky Cloonan. I'm Batman. Uh, Batman comments that these criminals he is chasing are having a bad day. They think that they are running from him, but in reality, he is leading them away from the population. He forces them into a warehouse where he has set up his ambush. This group is a mercenary outfit, which has a which is deep into black market arms. Each member has a military grade body armor, and finally, this will be. A, and he says that finally, this is going to be a fun challenge for him. As Batman works his way through the warehouse, he takes these goons out one by one. As he reads all of their files, one of these men has never lost a fight. Another has killed children. When Batman catches up with the last member of the group, he notices that this man has a suicide bomb on. Batman notices that this man is nervous and does not want to die today. He tells the man to look at him. He has already died and haunts the living. He asks this man if he wants the same fate. The man hands over the detonator and the situation is diffused. So... Um, this one, well, um, this one, I, I wasn't as big of a fan as th this was not one of my favorites. Um, it's actually probably my bottom three for the issue. Um, but it, it has to do with the fact that it, it, I guess it could be the way you interpret what Batman's saying. The way Batman says, you know, he's already dead and he's haunting the living. I don't really think that 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 is the actual case of who Batman is. But you could interpret it as maybe he's just saying this to the uh, the criminal to you know scare the criminal into giving up the detonator, but it, it just it didn't work as well as I thought it could. Um, 
What did you guys think of this one? I liked because we don't get enough clever Batman and getting the behind the scenes of how he's planning this out. And so it's kind of cool seeing how he, you know, rigged up the place and set people up to be in certain places and how he can take them out non-lethally, which then I think is hilarious that the whole warehouse is on fire while their unconscious bodies are laying around the warehouse. It's like, what was the point of of non-lethally taking them out and then setting the whole warehouse on fire? Oh. But then how it's at the end, you know, he's not using violence. He uses words to take out the last guy, which I think I think it displayed a good range of Batman skills and in a, you know, non-committal throwaway story. Um I wasn't quite sure either what he meant by I'm already dead, but but basically like any criminal who knows Batman knows probably he's, you know, He's out for fighting. He's out for he's, his life is crime fighting. I, his life is is dedicated to this. Like he probably doesn't have much of a life. I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. But um, you know, this guy's crying at the end. You know, he's probably scared. He probably doesn't want to die. And I think Batman taps into that somehow. And and whatever, even if we don't understand what Batman is necessarily saying, it's it's he's read this guy's file. He knows what he has to say to get to this guy. And so I don't know. I thought it, I thought it was. Clever, cleverish. Not my favorite either, but I, I at least found it interesting. I have read not a lot of Warren Ellis, but a fair amount, and this felt kind of just like what Warren Ellis always does, sort of science fiction, mm. power fantasy. He's always super prepared. He knows everything. He's the smartest person in the room. But by smartest person, he just knows a ton of facts. He doesn't actually do a lot of logical stuff. It's just knowing things. So it's a little frustrating. Um, I actually really like the ending. I don't think that Batman was trying to make a statement that Batman is a ghost or, or anything. I think Batman was just, as Steph says, he's trying to get this man to live. Because before he says that, he says, this man doesn't know if he wants to live or die. Um, and so he's clearly trying to push him towards life. And I like that. I felt that last page was actually sort of a statement of hope that Batman isn't just about punishing the guilty. He's also about saving lives, making the world better. He is um, a hero, not just a punisher. And I think this story did highlight that. Um, I think it was really more interesting for the art because Becky Cloonan is one of the two women who have drawn a main Batman title um, and, you know, Joelle Jones is the other one, and they're both in this issue, which I think is kind of a cool uh, tribute to the artistic history and changes over the last, you know, 80 years of Batman comics. All right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, overall, not my favorite, but uh, I'm going to give this one... I, I do have to point out that Becky Cloonan's art was amazing. There was a there was a panel, like, uh, when, when I was discussing this issue on the Discord plug right there if you haven't joined our <laughs> discord do it um but the uh the, i i mentioned a couple of different uh of panels that i thought was really really good and the becky clunan version of batman with the flames in the background mm-hmm. um amazing amazing it's one of the the panels i think that makes the issue really really good 
Um, there's, and I'll bring up some of the other ones as we get to them, but that's the first one that I saw. Like, and Jim Lee, obviously, he's a great artist, but the thing is, like, I've seen so much Jim Lee, nothing really surprises me, quite honestly. And, and to be fair, a lot of his, uh, a lot of the stuff that we saw in the issue reminds me so much of other things we've seen, even some of the variant covers that were exclusive to certain retailers. So it's not that Jim Lee's a bad artist, it's just, I'd like to see something a little bit different every once in a while. And even though I am very much a house style type um, comic art appreciator, um, I'd still like to see some, you know, different stuff here and there. And this was, I, I really, really like that panel. So um, I'm going to give this a neutral, not, I, it would have gotten the thumbs up if I enjoyed the story, but, and, and honestly it got a neutral just because the, the art, you know, boosted it for me, but yeah, I'm going to give it a neutral. I actually did like the story. Thumbs up. I'm going to give it a neutral as well. All right. Our next story, story number five, Return to Crime Alley by writer Denny O'Neill and art by Steve Epstein. This used to be a beautiful street. Good people lived here once. Good people still live in Crime Alley. A group of kids put on masks, and one of them has a gun. They are ready to rob anyone who steps in their path. Walking down Crime Alley, Leslie Tompkins calls for Bruce to stop lurking in the shadows. He comes down from his perch and joins her. Tonight is the anniversary of his parents' death. Leslie corrects him and says, and tells him to call it what it really is. They were murdered. She sometimes thinks he does not know anything else. That tragedy that that tragedy was indeed obscene, but he has survived. He could have used his experience to craft a life of charity and a ch uh, of charity. Instead, he haunts the living at night from the shadows. He thinks he is serving justice, but in reality, he is just serving cruelty. Bruce tells her that he is grateful for her, but in the middle of their conversation, the group of kids heads towards them. These kids ask Leslie for her purse, and Batman tells them to stand back. They believe Bruce is dressed in a cosplay in cosplay as Batman, and they are gravely mistaken. One of the kids pulls a gun on Bruce and shoots him. In retaliation, Bruce begins to beat up this group. During the altercation, Bruce has become increasingly more violent. Leslie calls for Bruce to stop. She sighs and says, she says someone is a poor thing. Bruce asks if she feels sorry for them, and she says, no, she feels sorry for Bruce. All right, so this story. Um, so if you are unaware, this is actually a follow-up to Denny O'Neill's story from Detective Comics number 457, which was called There Is No Hope in Crime Alley. Um, and basically the gist of the story is that every year on the anniversary of his parents' death, he returns to Crime Alley to basically memorialize his parents. Um, and Leslie Tompkins happens to go there as well. Um, she's hoping that he's going to give up being Batman every year, but of course that doesn't ever happen. Um, the question I have for you guys is, um, obviously this is going to depend on how you feel about violence in general, um, personally, but the, the fact that these kids attack in, 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 in any lighter word attack, uh, or threaten Leslie and who they appear to be, what they appear or what they assume to be some guy dressed as Batman, not actually Batman. These guys attack them. Batman decides to, you know, take them out. And even though he gets shot, um, he gets more violent and she ends up taking the side of them and is, is comforting them. While I understand her opposition to violence in general, 
do you think it's, I don't know, and this is just, I guess, me personally, because of how I feel about this, you know, as the, the idea of escalation and things like that. But the fact that she calls him a poor thing and is comforting one of the people that he beats up after they shot at him and tried to attack them or attack her and him. Um, I mean, like, I, it doesn't make me like Leslie Tompkins as a character, but how do you guys feel? I do think Batman went overboard in this story because there was only one armed villain and he disarms him very quickly. And it doesn't seem like the other guys are attacking. Like, they're honestly just punk kids. Like, they, they're unarmed and and they're just standing there and Batman beats the crap out of them. Like, he, I don't agree with Batman's actions necessarily. Or at all. Um... After he disarms the first guy. But it it is a pretty heavy-handed agenda story. I don't know exactly what the agenda is. <laughs> but it's it's like, yeah, no violence is the answer. I don't know. But I don't know. Seeing Leslie sitting there with the kid at the end and sort of cradling him. And he's going, oh, boo-hoo, Batman hit me. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a little, well, you attacked him with a gun, sweetie. You're a criminal now. You should not do that. I don't know. It seemed to... Like there was almost too... Too... What were they, what's it called? When you're when you're really far on your on your spectrum of belief. Two like, fanatics? Sh- sh- yeah, it's like two fanatics. I, I hesitate to call them fanatics. But yeah, one but, like yeah. violence solves everything. And one silence, violence is never the answer. It's like there's no way there's an in-between. Like both of you... Can't be wrong. <laughs> I don't know. This story m- made me feel weird when I finished reading it. It's a very odd story. Um, yeah. It's not actually a, a follow-up or a sequel. It's actually a retelling of the story. There is no hope in Crime Alley. Actually, uh, DC republished um, that story in the Detective Comics 80 Years of Batman. It's sort of a celebration issue, an anthology. And it just has tons and tons of great Batman stories, including this one. The original story actually was very warm. Um, Batman and Leslie connect and Leslie sort of gives him hope for the future where he can um, uh, finish, like he can end crime as a significant problem and, and he can give up the cowl and he sort of falls asleep smiling and Alfred finds him. And it's very, it's a very warm story. That was, oh goodness. It was like, 40 years ago and Denny O'Neill um, had a really great run where he was the head of the Batman office and then he left. And I think this story is kind of his commentary on what happened to Batman after he left. Um, Denny O'Neill is, is sort of a, an old school liberal. Um, He, he he's very fascinated with Zen. If you, if you read his uh, question series, uh, he really is interested in that kind of spirituality and the idea of consequences to violence and action and inaction and balance. Um, and I think he sees Batman as a very unbalanced character. And he thinks that uh, most of the writers who have come after him have really unbalanced Batman in favor of punishment and violence instead of justice and helping people. And I think he used Leslie in this story as sort of his mouthpiece as for his frustration uh, with the way Batman's been written since he left. I don't completely agree with him. Um, 
I think this story has some structural problems to start with. I think that it starts with less a full page spread of Leslie screaming, Bruce, no. And like, she's screaming Bruce when he's dressed as Batman. I know. And there are criminals around. So like, that's a weird thing. It's also a wasted page because it doesn't really add to the story. He's just repeated later and it doesn't mm-hmm. reveal any new information. And Batman is not actually going to kill anyone. He's just going to like hit them some more. So it felt extreme um, as a structural storytelling issue. Um, Steve Apting is a great artist. Um, I don't really like the fact that he was copying the way Leslie looked in the original story 40 years ago. I wish um, he'd use sort of the Leslie we saw in, mm-hmm. you know, Peter Tomasi's detective comics where she's, you know, sort of got sort of nice hair. She doesn't look quite like your, your grandmother's grand. You're like this, this Leslie looks like she's from 40 years ago. <laughs> uh, so I, I kind of wish they'd change that, but it is an accurate representation of what the original art was. Um, I actually was quite moved by the final page where Leslie's like, no. And Bruce is like, you feel pity for these punks. And she says, no, for you. And that was powerful. I think Denny O'Neill is a powerful writer. I think he's a very intelligent and sensitive and passionate writer. And that hit me. I think a lot of the rest of the story doesn't work very well. Um, So I... I was also frustrated by it, but I, I think that it's still a piece of admirable artistry, even with its weaknesses. Yeah. I, I have to agree with your comments about the art though. Um, it was a very weird interpretation of Leslie. I saw the preview before the issue came out. Um, and, and I was kind of taken aback by how she looked because it just, it didn't feel like, if this was, I, I mean, to be fair, if this was meant to be, you know, a direct sequel or a follow-up to the original story in Batman 457, which for those of you wondering was from March 1976, if this was meant to be that, then the art makes sense. But if it's more of like what Ian is saying, like how he thinks it's more supposed to be like a commentary from Denny O'Neill of how things have turned, it feels like the art should be more current and have like a more present feel rather than feeling like it's something from 40 plus years ago. So, And if Leslie hadn't been literally in the previous issue <laughs> looking 30 years younger and looking like a doctor instead of your grandma's grandma, like that's really threw me off for like I had to read the issue to figure out who, who the heck this was because it didn't look like the Leslie I met. Well, as I said, I went back and reread the original story. So I, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, I, he really told Steve Epting to go copy that picture. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to give this one a neutral as well. Thumbs down. I didn't like the style of art. It was done well for what it was. I just really didn't like it. Neutral trending up because I think the art and, and the coloring by Elizabeth Breitweiser was really subtle and well done. And, just that final page really does push it up. I can't go all the way thumbs up, um, but it's it's a powerful work. All right, so our next story is story number six, Hederick by Christopher Priest and Neil, Ar- uh, written by Christopher Priest with art by Neil Adams. I believe the detective would be quite disappointed. I assume you came to recover these children? 
take them and go. So I'm going to forego the synopsis and discussion, and uh, Ian is going to cover this one because if you have, if you are unaware, Ian is a big Christopher Priest fan and has been covering Deathstroke for what has it been like over a year now? Almost a year. Yeah, almost a year. Um, over on the site, so our resident Christopher Priest um, fan is going to cover this story. Okay, so uh, Heretic starts. Years ago, when Batman was traveling the world, before he was Batman, he was training. So in Tibet, uh, he gets mugged by a bunch of uh, local youths, and they steal his wallet and, um, you know, leave him in the trash. Years later, you know, he's currently Batman, and Bruce Wayne actually shows up at the crime scene of a murdered Tibetan or Chinese youth. And Commissioner Gordon's like, this guy, he's been stripped of all his clothes, but he's got a Wayne business card. And Bruce Wayne's like, ah, well, maybe it's a warning. And then Batman shows up and Bruce Wayne disappears. And Batman says, well, clearly someone's warning Wayne of some attack. And then, of course, in Batman style, he disappears. Uh, It turns out that Batman was actually uh, Dick Grayson. And Bruce was trying to sort of fool uh, Commissioner Gordon into believing that Bruce Wayne and Batman are different people, which is kind of fun touch. Um, And he discovers that... Uh, there's a connection to the League of Assassins based on the physical attributes of the murdered man. So he attacks um, Ra's al uh, Ghul, uh, Ra's al Ghul, in New York City by the UN. And Ra's says, I know this guy was dead, but I didn't kill him. Um, he's been helping people escape the League of Assassins for many years, and he's a traitor. But I didn't kill him. And so Batman tracks down the killer of this man, and it turns out that it was his sister, um, who we first saw as one of the the youths who found Batman in the trash after he was mugged. Um, And it was a sister of one of the muggers, and she says, the money in the wallet of Bruce Wayne corrupted him, the capitalist money, um, and we had to kill him because he was a heretic. And Bruce says, no, you had no right he was helping make the world better by keeping people out of your cycle of vicious assassination. And I will continue his work. And so Batman ends the story by declaring anyone who wants to leave the League of Assassins, whether it's now or any time in the future, come to Batman and I will help you to escape. So uh, that's Heretic. Um, I think there's two questions I wanted to ask. The first is... What do you think about how this story talks about Batman's mission? Like, do you think this story has something to say about what Batman stands for? Well, I think in the end, it's showing that Batman is out, you know, he is there to, you know, to protect and serve and and provide justice for anyone, even if it is somebody who was in the League of Assassins. And I think that ultimately it shows that Batman is capable of, you know, forgiving past crimes to a degree, um, especially if it means that they're, it's going to prevent them from committing further crimes. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, you know, the, especially at the very beginning, the, 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 it's not the, it didn't look like it was the kids who robbed him that were the ones beating him up. There was like older kids that beat him up. And then it was the little kids that, that robbed him. And so it's this this guy that robbed him somehow is inspired by the Waynes to, to be more altruistic and to get people out of the League of Assassins. And so Batman, you know, 
taking on the mantle um, of this guy, of this kid that he's never even really met because he was unconscious when he got robbed, um, you know, is is taking on the mantle of, of doing what was right, even if it came from doing the wrong thing. And so, so seeing that someone is trying to better themselves, even if they're dead, you know, Batman seems to respect that and um, is so you know, admiring of that work that, that he wants to do it himself. I think that's very much a Batman thing to do. I agree. I, I mean, obviously as everyone says, I'm a huge Christopher, Christopher priest fan. I'm not a huge fan of, um, Neil Adams's art. I think that he did a, he did a bonus story in the, um, action comics deluxe, um, sort of like we talked about the detective comics deluxe. And I think his art was better there. I think he's a better, Superman artist now. Uh, he was one of the best Batman artists, but I think he sort of degraded. Um, and I think that Priest has some weird structural things. This the story doesn't feel like it builds to a climax. I think it might be a little too short. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a page where Batman actually fights, you know, the assassins before he finds out who that he's facing. He just sort of shows up and then makes a speech. Um, but I think that the message that Bruce Wayne isn't just a Punisher. I mean, we, I've said this over and over again in this, this episode, uh, where he helped the man in Warren Ellis's story. Um, he is a person who wants to make the world better, not just punish the guilty. So I really like the statement here, even if there are a couple flaws in the way the story was executed. I didn't like Dick's vest. <laughs> that was a little weird. That was very, what is that? Nineties, late eighties. Dick's vest threw me off. Well, and Dick as Batman was super weird because his eyes were huge and bugging out. It's like yeah. Batman with with really obvious eyes that weren't lenses. Uh, that was very strange, Neil Adams' artwork. Um, but I think, in general, this is a work um, that probably could have used a bit more space, maybe another editing pass. But I think it's really, really fun. It's got a lot of good ideas about Batman and the the League of Assassins and Batman's a detective and using gadgets um, and his, how his mission has progressed from his training before he was Batman all the way to today and how mm-hmm. he's still feeling the effects of his work. And he's still inspired by other people in a good way. I will say this about Neil Adams. Um, he was a legend or I mean, he is a legend. Um, his art in the seventies was amazing, but he is one of those artists that, I uh I honestly just I don't appreciate his his work anymore and I I don't really look forward to seeing it. And I I'm not just saying that because of the mini series that he has written that also have released that just I feel like are <clears throat> a waste of time um but at the same time uh, just like I understand the inclusion of Neil Adams. I'm not questioning them including him. It's just his art just is nowhere near as good as it used to be. And it'll, it's interesting because we, 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 he's one of probably the few artists f- that was, you know, big, big, huge artists from years and years and years and years ago who is still producing art. Some of them will, you know, there's plenty of artists who will produce art for years and, you know, decades. And there's no, there's, you know, there's no sort of like difference between their art he is not one of them. You take his art from the late seventies, early eighties, and you compare it to stuff that stuff is now. And you just, you can tell there's like this very distinct difference. And 
I, I'm not going to sit here and try to claim that I'm sort of some sort of like Neil Adams expert or anything. And maybe something happened and that's why his art changed and he is still able to, you know, get projects and things like that because of, you know, his legacy. I don't know. I can't say that for sure, but it is definitely one of those things where you can definitely see the difference. And I, I almost feel like I want to put together an article showcasing, you know, the, the distinct differences in his art style and it also, it also, you know, I have to sit here and think to myself, you know, as time progresses, some of these other artists who were maybe real big in the 90s, if they're still working on other, or if they come back and work on a bad project. So we've seen like people like Kelly Jones, they were just on a, you know, mini series. We saw Graham Nolan on a, uh, uh, the Bane Maxi series. You know, when you see them come back 20 years after, you know, the height of what they were doing in, in the Batman comics, do does their art really still hold up to the way it did, or is there changes? It'd be interesting to see, and as I talk this out loud, I'm literally thinking to myself of turning this into some sort of series, because we've seen this a lot, and a lot of artists who, were, who had previously worked on Batman at some other point come back and do it years and years later, and just, it'd be interesting to see the difference. Uh, it also makes me slightly concerned for some of the artists that I, I feel are really good artists now and what could potentially come in 20 years from now. So, yeah. All right, so this one I'm going to give a neutral. Thumbs up. I like that it was Batman solving a crime without fists and and the art didn't bother me too much if, as long as you don't focus on his mouth. <laughs> Anyone's mouth. <laughs> I'm going to give it a, a thumbs up as well. I think it was a, a worthwhile story uh, that made you think about Batman. All right. So our next story, story number seven, is I Know by Brian Michael Bendis and artist Alex Maleev. Bruce Wayne, why are you dressed up like Batman? Because he is Batman, you moron. Uh, now, if you aren't aware, this story was actually released in its entirety weeks before Detective Comics number 1000 actually released. So you may have already seen it and, and didn't realize it was actually part of Detective Comics number 1000, but it is. In the far future, Oswald Cobblepot goes to a disabled man and shares a secret he's been holding on to for years. He knows the identity of Batman. He tells the man that he has known for years that Bruce Wayne was Batman. Years ago, Batman's rogues gallery all met to try to form a union to fight Batman. And there are many in many of their meetups, they discussed who the man underneath the cow was. After thinking it over, Bruce Wayne is the only man in Gotham who has the money to fund a war against crime. He planned to assassinate Bruce Wayne at Wayne Manor, but he decided not to go through with it. He turns to the disabled man that actually that that Bruce Wayne is the only one keeping. Hold on. He tells the disabled man that Bruce Wayne is the only thing keeping him alive. If he took down the secret identity of Batman, then Batman would have no more time to stop crime. Thus, keeping his identity secret was in his best interest. He tells the disabled man, who is the one and only Bruce Wayne, that he knew all along. He knew that he was he was Batman. Bruce flips a switch on his wheelchair and electrocutes Oswald. He tells him he knew all along that Oswald knew his identity. And with that, he tells him that it was good to see him. All right. This story, um, to, to be fair, this is the third story from Brian Michael Bendis regarding Batman. And there's the Citizen Wayne story um, from years and years ago. 
And then there's the current story that's happening in the Batman Walmart Giants right now that will, if you are unable to pick up the Walmart Giants because you don't live near Walmart, don't fear. It's already been announced that they're all going to be collected, as we all suspected. Um, in, in I think the end of the summer is when they're, or I guess, it, uh, so, I don't know, anytime, so, sometime in the fall, after the first, or uh, after the 12 issues released featuring Brian Michael Bendis' story are released. They're coming in a complete collected form um, to comic shops and will probably be released digitally as well as, as as most, obviously, other comics are too. But that's the second one. And to be fair, that one has had its ups and downs, but it feels it's because it's, you know, very, very short chapters. And to be honest, I have never really enjoyed a lot of the chapter-type releases like some of the digital first series that have released in chapter form where it's not nearly as long as a normal comic but it it just is shorter i just don't feel like a lot's been happening and while it has its moments and there's some really good points of his story it does feel like it's being chopped up and maybe drawn out a little bit too long and we don't really know why this story however was great um I really enjoyed the art by Alex Maleev. Uh This was another one of my uh, top pieces of art. The uh, uh, there's a page where Batman is perched up on a up on a building. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. That that one is one of my favorite panels. Also in the issue, uh, combined with like I said earlier, the the Becky Cloonan uh, Batman from the earlier story. But this story was really cool. I mean, obviously, the entire intent was obviously Oswald had no intention of taking out Bruce Wayne because if he stopped, if there was no one to stop crime, Oswald wouldn't be able to move in and finagle his way into all of the unique situations that he's been in because Batman takes out, you know, the Joker, takes out the Riddler. And then, you know, what, what does Oswald tend to do? He figures out some way of making himself legitimate enough so that he doesn't always go to jail. That's why the iceberg lounges around and he uses those situations to his advantage. So it makes perfect sense. Um, I think this was honestly like a very well-crafted story and it was interesting to see again, obviously this is an alternate future that may or may never, you know, may or may not ever come to fruition but at the same time it was a fun story and it was really cool to see like Oswald going on and on I knew it I knew it I knew it was you and then Bruce of course just responds of course you knew I knew you knew so I I really enjoyed it yeah I enjoyed it too the art yeah it was absolutely beautiful and that uh, panel you're talking about it's so candid like usually a lot of times you know it's a pose and you can tell that you know the artist spent time setting them up for a perfect shot this just out this looks like batman getting ready to jump after having hopped down and the bat signals in the back it just it's really cool i do love it um you know we always ask ourselves you know how do people not know it's bruised away and how are they not figuring this out and just seeing the story of of one guy who figured out and why he kept it a secret like that's almost more interesting to me is how what is people's motivations for not revealing Batman's identity? Um, and of course, it had such a Batman ending. Of, of course, I knew. <laughs> Zip. I kind of want to see a it. version of this story with with Jim Gordon. Yes, yes. I thought this story was really clever, um, and the art. I mean, it's a broken record at this point, but it is gorgeous art. I would definitely not mind seeing Maleev do a Batman miniseries or even on the main title. 
I there were too many things about the writing that didn't quite land for me. Uh, Penguin saying "wape" uh, usually says "walk," oh, and so "wape" didn't work for me. Maybe that's like old Penguin. That's what old Penguin sounds like. Um, and I just don't want my Batman to end alone. And I know fans of Batman Beyond. He's, he's pretty alone. I mean, he does have Terry, but he's still really isolated. None of his old family are close to him or really supporting him anymore. I don't want that for Batman. And so this future really gets me down. So it's it's not really one of my favorites, even though the art is very, very good. And it's a clever story. It's just not something that spoke to me. I didn't think he was necessarily alone. He's just enjoying the outside. I don't know. I didn't think he was necessarily alone in the world although there are orderlies around so maybe he is in a hospital or a retirement home or something like that or a retirement home all right anyway this story i'm gonna give a thumbs up thumbs up neutral trending up <laughs> all right story number eight the last crime in gotham by writer jeff johns and artist kelly jones happy birthday a dear master b Happy birthday to you. Damien comments about how it's been over a month since Gordon turned on the bat signal. Bruce tells him to be grateful, but Damien really wishes for some action. Selena comments about how things have gotten quiet in Gotham since the Joker has gotten sick. Echo, Selena and Bruce's daughter, comments how there is nothing wrong with a crime-free Gotham. Bruce tells her Gotham is not crime-free yet. Commissioner Gordon meets the Bat family at the crime at a crime scene with multiple victims. These victims were celebrating a party. They're at a party. They discover the cake was poisoned. Before anyone can say it, Gordon tells him that the Joker died last night. Selena asks who else would have who else would do something like this. Bruce says it was someone who is trying to recreate the greatest crimes in Gotham in a single night. Who shares the perpetrator is known as the April Fool, also known as the son of Joker. However, the fool was one of the dead at the table. The fool did all of this because his father died, and he wanted to honor his father. Bruce tells everyone it is now time for family. Gotham streets are now safe. However, all this was just Bruce's birthday wish. He just wants crime to end. Okay. Um, so... I have to say this. Obviously, those of you out there know that I'm not a huge Kelly Jones fan. This this did not obviously sway any sort of decision on that side of things. Um, <laughs> but it's an interesting pairing, pairing Jeff Johns with uh, Kelly Jones. And I say that because Jeff Johns tends to be paired with a lot of the very, very, very much house-style type artists. Um, and there's rarely somebody who's outside of the normal house style that he gets paired with. Um, at least, you know, since he became really, really big, that being said, it was a unique pairing, but it's almost like a pairing that made sense because of the story that was being told. Now, this is obviously some sort of alternate universe or alternate version of Batman where Batman and Catwoman are, or and Selena are together. They have a daughter named Echo. Um, whether Echo is, her real name or her, her name of her, you know, her hero identity. I, it's, it's hard to say because that's not really the focus. The focus is this is some sort of like future alternate universe where 
Batman has a, a you know Batman's son Damien is is involved with crime fighting. Uh, Selena's with Bruce. They have a daughter. that also crime fights. And Joker is gotten sick. He has a son himself. And yeah, I mean, like to be fair, it's not necessarily a horrible story. It's got its moments. Um, but I think I was slightly taken aback by the idea that this was more of a, like when he says that when, when Batman says that someone was trying to uh, recreate the greatest crimes in Gotham in a single night, I just didn't feel like that was the case. And honestly, the, the idea that Joker's son would be going by the name April fool, while it could be kind of a interesting name, it also doesn't really make any sense. Like why would he want to be known as a fool? Um, obviously the, the word fool relates back to, you know, maybe a jester or somebody within the court and that, you know, can kind of link back to a joker, but I don't, I don't know. Like I, I, this is the story that I had the, the most problem with. And it wasn't just because the art, I have to stress that because I know a lot of people give me a lot of crap about the artists I really don't like, but to be fair, I just did not like this story. Um, really at all i just i mean like the idea of some future alternate universe batman it could be interesting there's ways that it could have been interesting but like this i mean i understand the entire intent like this is just you know batman's wish is that there's no more crime he just wants crime to end and maybe that's why it all goes back to you know if crime did end could batman be happy like we've seen told in so many incarnations including you know the chris nolan films if crime is ended does there need to be a Batman? Can he live on and, you know, have a normal life? And while I don't necessarily completely disagree with the idea of, you know, the hope for a crime-free Gotham, I think the idea that Batman can't, you know, have a family while there is still crime in Gotham is absurd. So that's my take. Do you have a question or do you just want to oh, take? No, just what's your thoughts? I, I, I think uh, some of these deserve questions, and some of them is just more of a, let's hear your thoughts. Um, I really wish this had been done by Tim Sale, because there's so many like links to, um, oh, I, I'm all drawing a blank. The Holiday Killer one. The famous one. Jeff Loeb. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, the Jeff Loeb story. What's it called? Uh, the, oh, gosh. Long Halloween. Yeah, Long there Halloween. Because, um, you know, Calendar Man's there. And, like, all the crimes, are, all, all the all the rogues are there. And it's, it's you know, the solving of a lot of deaths. And even talking about recreating the greatest crimes. Like, that kind of, I don't know, made me think of, of Long Halloween. And so I just really wish that, that <laughs> this was a different artist. Because Selena looks so ugly. <laughs> uh, but, um... And I think it's interesting because the first time I read it, I was like, oh, all Batman wants is a happy family and to solve crimes with his dog and his wife and his kids and also for there to be no crime. Uh, but then how's that done? It's done by literally all the criminals dying. They're not reformed. They don't, you know, change their ways. They don't They don't stop crime because they want to. They have to get murdered. And that actually adds an element of darkness that originally I didn't read when, when I read this. Um so it's making me not like it quite as much as I did when I first read it. Because at first I was like, oh, he loves his family who doesn't exist yet. But 
It's actually pretty messed up. <laughs> that everyone has to die for there to be world peace. Or at least peace in Gotham. It's a bizarre story. Um, it is a bizarre story. Some people were really upset about um, the idea that Jason and Babs are John's endgame and they have kids together. Um, I remember back when I got back into DC Comics in 2014 when Dick was quote-unquote dead in Grayson and uh, Jason and Babs were flirting in Batman Eternal and everyone was really mad back then too. <laughs> I don't understand uh, what John's was trying to do with so many things in this story. It feels like he had a spaghetti box full of ideas and threw it at the wall, hoping some of them would stick, but none of them are fleshed out. You've got Babs and Jason together. You got a new daughter. Maybe she's named Echo. Maybe it's just Helena. Who's got the identity of Echo, even though she's always been Huntress or Robin before. Um, You've got Damien still being Robin, even though he's like 30. You've got (laughs) Bruce and Selena being 60 and looking really cranky. And you've got, the idea that they're doing crime. Uh, you've got the idea that Joker has a son um, named April Fool who kills all the villains and Batman has a bat- birthday wish and this is all just a dream. And it is a weird story where everything is in it and none of it is developed. And I like some of the ideas. As uh, Steph said, I like the idea of Batman having a family, uh, having a daughter and training her to be a hero too but that's like glossed over in a page and there's no more development of it. Like everything else in the story. I do like that. It's like in, in the, at the end of the day, all, all Bruce really wants is for crime to stop. And I did appreciate that element of it, but it, yeah, it's just all really weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, honestly, I'm going to be honest. This is the, this is the only one of the entire group of, uh, stories that I'm giving a thumbs down to. Thumbs down. I'm going to say neutral trending down because I did like a lot of the ideas. I just, I didn't hate it, but it was frustrating. All right. Story number nine, the precedent by writer, James Tynion, artist, Alvaro Martinez. It's not going to be easy. You have to take it a day at a time. But for however long it takes, you have a home with us. Thanks, Mr. Wayne. Bruce. Bruce. In the study, Bruce and Alfred discuss the precedent of letting Dick Grayson join them in the field. Alfred tells Bruce he will be able to give Dick some closure. He will also be able to provide him with opportunities for friendship, romance, and other things teenagers do. Growing up, Bruce was not able to have a normal life. He was forged in the fire, unable to live free as a kid. His childhood was stolen from him on that dark night in Crime Alley. Bruce tells Alfred that his life can be consumed by darkness in Gotham. Alfred responds that Dick can help him see the light. Dick can be the hero forged in the light. Dick overhears all of this and tells them that he is ready and excited. So this was a very quick story. Um, Again, there's one of my art picks for the issues in this story. The uh, Robin sequence is like the, the... you know, kind of collage of all the different Robin moments that uh, we would we know come to be um, is showcased in this in this uh, story. It was a it was a nice, sweet, quick story. There was no honestly, I don't have a whole lot to say about it other than I appreciate the fact that Dick gets some focus because 
although this is very much Batman's anniversary and Detective Comics and 1000, to be clear, Detective Comics has not just always been just about Batman. So it's nice to see other characters within the Bat family get a focus and not just strange alternate versions of the characters. Um, so I appreciated that. Um, I, I do like the idea that, and this is not necessarily a new thing, but the idea that, you know, Dick Grayson as Robin can keep Batman from going too far to the dark side. You know, we've heard this multiple times. It's the, basically the origin of Tim Drake, him going to Dick Grayson and saying, listen, Batman needs a Robin because Robin keeps him from the edge. And, you know, it's not it's not a new idea, but I think the way it's the, the story tells it, it, you know, it works. You know, I've I kind of complained about some of the other things that were repetitive, you know, in some of these other stories that we've seen before. But I think this version, you know, this story and, and telling a story that, you know, we have seen before, I think it still works. I think it, it, it does it, it does it in a unique enough way to make it set apart from the rest of the versions of the, you know, telling something very similar to it. So I, uh, I really like this, um, this story. Um, what did you guys think? I love this story. And I love that, like the whole thing, the whole conversation takes place over maybe like five minutes. It's, it's a short, short conversation that, that Bruce and Alfred are having. But, you know, while they're having this conversation, it's overlaid with everything that's going to happen. Everything they're talking about that they're worried about, that they're concerned about, you know, things they've thought about is all being covered. And you just see all the fun that they're going to have, all the crimes they're going to solve, the awesome man that Dick is going to be, you know, they, they, at the end, there's, there's the picture depicting Nightwings, you know, doing things on his own and how this is, this is, this one is going to work out. And, um, just the fact that it's called the precedent. So basically letting Dick start or Bruce starting allows, you know, for a precedent for, for, um, for a precedent for, um, Dick, you know, solving crime, which then lays the road for Jason and then Tim and then Damien. And so just the, how it's the beginning of just a awesome family being formed. And this is, this is your beginning core family. And it just, it sparks just happiness and, and excitement. And like, you almost want to start reading all the Batman Robin stories all over again. And I love the, the, the vow at the very end where it's, it's, you know, it's a, not a silhouette, but it's just in the candlelight, Batman and, and baby Dick, you know, taking a vow together to, 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 you know, solve crime together. And, and it's, I love it. It's, it was really great. I think this story is very sweet. I'm a bit disappointed that after one of my favorite runs of detective comics ever, um, Tynan sort of just did a completely bread and butter Batman and Robin story. I- because I think he has a lot more to offer than that. Uh, he has an insight into many more characters. Now, to be fair, he didn't get to use Dick very much in his own run. And so my guess, well, I know this because he's tweeted about it. He wanted to use some of those characters who weren't part of his original run. Uh, and he's wanted to for a while. So I imagine if he comes back to doing Batman books in a couple of years, he'll probably be doing dick and babs and some of the characters he didn't get to use in his original run which disappoints me since i prefer the characters he was using but he's the writer he is perfectly entitled to want to do stuff he hasn't done before um i'm left with a sense of just very sweet but kind of insubstantial sort of like a a croissant with sugar on top or something 
I like Quill. I, I, I see what you mean, though. I mean, like, there are, there's a couple stories in this issue that felt like they were unusually short, and this was one of them, too. You yeah. know, like, you you know, when they announced the book, and we all knew it was going to be roughly close to 100 pages or whatever, we all just assumed that all these creative teams were going to be telling, like, eight-page stories, but they all didn't tell eight-page stories. There was There ends up being... You know, in some cases, there ends up being some of them that are only like, you know, a couple pages long, while there's other ones that are much longer. Um, and I don't know, you know, how that was decided either, but this one did feel unusually short and, you know, concise compared to a lot of the other stories. And, you know, I appreciate the fact that Tynan, you know, as even though he is very much a rising star within comics, um, he did have he, he had a really good run. I really did like his run. I, I really do want him to eventually come back to the Bat Books um after he gets done doing you know his his dream job as he has said with Justice League Dark. Um I really do do hope that he comes back and he does some more Batman stuff because I really enjoyed the stuff that he did and he understands that Batman, you know, there's more to the Bat man universe other than just batman himself he's one of the few writers that really gets that um so i would love to see him come back but it's nice to see that at least he got you know acknowledgement that he has had something that deserve he you know he's a big enough writer he he has a big enough influence mm-hmm. on batman at least currently or you know in the the somewhat immediate past that he's able to get a story in this because honestly, like out of all of the writers here, he's probably the, the most up and coming as well as the fact that he has worked on, you know, he's worked in the industry least compared to everybody else. So I, I appreciate the fact that he got a story, but yes, it was, it was very short. So. But then again, if it had, like, if he wrote this one, I don't know if I would want it to be longer. Whereas if he had written Something like else, a, yeah. Tim and Ste- Tim and Steph go off into the sunset, yeah, and I was kind of, and that's <laughs> why I was kind of, I didn't actually get there. I was thinking in my head, but then I got off track by what I was saying. But, but basically, I was thinking to myself, I wonder how editorial like divvied up things. You know, did they initially mm-hmm. say, okay, here's the book, we're going to divvy this up according to you know the amount of work that the people have previously worked on Batman or I really would like to know, like, from an editorial standpoint, how things became the way they were. Not necessarily, like, trying to say editorial did anything wrong, you know, in that regard. But I think that, like, it's interesting to see who they picked, who got stories. And not only that, but, like, who, which artists were teamed up with, with which writers. Because, like, we had talked about this before when they initially announced the creative teams. It was a very weird pairing with some of these, like... Christopher mm-hmm. Priest and Neil Adams, very strange pairing. Jeff Johns, Kelly Jones, very strange pairing. Like, who was the one who, you know, how did they come to these decisions? Or was it just really the creative teams kind of, like, work together? I mean, like, obviously the next one we're going to get to is Tom King with working with Tony Daniel and Joel Jones. That one makes a little bit more sense. James Tynion working with Alvaro Martinez, that makes sense. But some of these other ones, it's kind of like, how did these come to be? And then on, and then at the same time, like, how did some of these stories come to be like did the creative team kind of say here i've got a story or were they say it or were they told all right you've got 
eight pages to tell your story. You've got 10 pages to tell your story. You've got four pages to tell your story. And then you just have Mm -hmm. to come up with a story that's going to fit. And then this is just what they came up with. Because I agree, I would not necessarily want to see this story in a longer form. But if he did have more pages, would he have told something completely different? And the story that he told is just based on the sheer fact that he only had so many pages to tell the story. All right, so this story I'm going to give a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up, yeah. It was very sweet. I just, I had more hopes just because I loved you his would... detective so much. You wanted some jam on your clothes. Yeah, maybe some peanut butter. <laughs> yeah. All right, story number 10, Batman's Greatest Case by writer Tom King with artists Tony Daniel and Joel Jones. wonder what Batman will have us on next. I have an important mission for you two. The Batmobile must be washed. Two coats of wax this time. And don't forget to hang one of those tree-shaped air fresheners. The fit of Gotham depends on it. Without knowing why, the entire Bat family stands on a rooftop, anxiously awaiting Bruce to arrive. As each member theorizes why they are all together, Bruce uses a Batarang as a camera and captures a family portrait of them all. He then lays it lays the picture at the grave of his parents, letting them know that he has found his own family. Okay, so this story, uh, obviously the synopsis is, is very brief, but this that is a very basic summary of what happened in the story. There's a lot of really great interactions between members of the Bat family. Um, I have to say this story was, was my top story. And, and it's interesting because... Of all the people that are, you know, that are writing stories, Tom King is the one that I would not peg to write this story. <laughs> and it's nothing against Tom King. It's nothing against what he's currently doing over in Batman. But he does not ever come across as the person who is who thinks that the family aspect of Batman is something that should be focused on. Um, so it's nice to see that one. Tom King, who we've seen create some really, really good stuff with Batman. And then obviously, you know, he has his moments where he's not creating, you know, as good as some of the other stuff. But he's created a lot of really good stuff. But his focus on the Bat family has been such a lacking aspect. And it could be because, you know, for the longest time during his run, Detective Comics was the title that was focusing on the family. And that's why he focused so solely on Batman. That could have been the case. There's no way of knowing for sure unless someone you know asks him that question directly. Oh, I but, did ask him that directly, and that is pretty much exactly what he said. Okay, all right. Well, that explains it then. Um, but it is it, it's very interesting because one of my biggest complaints about the Batman series has been the lack of the other Bat family members, or in other cases, the fact that other characters or the, when we do see members of, from the Bat family appear. They're such in like these weird brief moments or they're kind of like just like fixtures for the plot. They don't really make any sense. So that being said, this was a really good story. It was a nice story. It, you know, I, I like the the closing moments of like, you know, him telling his parents that he has his own family and that all of these people are here. I liked the characters that were showcased here, you know, that were part of the Bat family, at least according to Tom King in the story. Um, and this also featured by far my favorite piece of, of art, which was the panel of the actual picture of the Bat family. Um, it, in my opinion, was far superior 
to the Jason Favic print, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, and not to say that, you know, that uh, it, it, it just, it felt like a real picture. It just felt like an actual, like, real thing that was happening, not just a collage of characters. Um, and I, I also appreciate that Tony Daniel and Tom King released this image or that, that specific image in high def um, without the cheese uh, word balloon, because quite honestly, I was like, I really want to get rid of that word balloon so I can get this printed and, you know, framed and put on my wall because I don't know if it's actually going to become a print that Daniel's going to sell, but I really want this. And I, I was happy to see that they did, but I mean, I, I really like this story. Um, as, as everybody who's, you know, been listening to the comic cast for a long time, you all know that I'm a huge bat family fan. I love the fact that the bat family exists. The Batman universe to me is not just the world, which Batman operates. It's all of the characters that incorporate the world, which Batman operates. Um, and that's where the entire idea from the site came from. And all of that was Batman is, it's not just a Batman site. It's a Batman universe site, which is covering all of these other characters. So like this story, hands down my favorite story. Mine too. I really loved it. And it, it almost makes it worse because n knowing that Tom King writes the family so well, and he's not, doing it it makes it almost worse like there's a few gems here and there like especially damien and dick have have quite a few more you know interactions than than anyone else of the family in in the current batman run but just reading this just almost makes me more sad that we don't get more of this in the batman book but they he really makes up for it like each page is just crowded with dialogue between the different members and some of it's just so inane and cute and just have you met you know, Dick Grayson? Barbara complaining about you know, Dick. Oh, it's just, it's so funny. I really do like it. And yeah, the art's awesome. Um, I like that we've got our two single R Robins. Red Robin, I guess, is gone forever. Thank God. Um, <laughs> spoilers hidden in shadow. That's a little sad. You can't see her face in the picture. Um, and there's only one bat dog. What is it? Is, was that, that Ace? Must be Ace yeah. And then, that must be Ace. And then, I guess Damien's dog is the other one that's whatever his name is and there's no bat cow <laughs> and of course this would never happen because i don't think batman would ever leave a picture of the entire bat family cassandra doesn't have her mask on and uh alfred is in the picture so leaving that in an open cemetery for anyone yeah, to find i mean <laughs> let's be clear here there is a uh there's a you have to suspend a little bit of reality when it comes to yes this, but, uh, yes yes still great well, Still I think, no, I think like Scott Snyder's story, this is sort of poetic and symbolic. It's Tom King mm -hmm. sort of summarizing what Batman is. And Steph linked a great video on the Discord about um, interviewing a bunch of the people who worked on Detective 1000 about what they met. And Tom King gave a little snippet of what he met. And he said he wrote a story in Action Comics 1000 about Superman saying goodbye to his parents. Uh something like 3,000 or maybe 50,000 years in the future and he's gotten this formula so Lois can live forever and John is still around. And But Earth is about to be destroyed by the sun because, you know, the sun grows as, you know, it gets older and so it's about to be destroyed by the growing sun. 
So Superman's moved everyone to different planets, and he's just saying goodbye to his parents' grave for the last time before Earth is destroyed. And it's a very sad story, but it's not, like, depressing, because he's still married to Lois, and he's still got his son. Um, this is sort of the opposite, and he said that. He said he gave a cheerful character mm-hmm. Superman the sad story, and he gave Batman the, the sort of warm story. And I think that's so true. He gave every character a really distinct voice. Some people have said they all sound the same. I think if you really look carefully at how each character talks, especially Dick and Damien, but I also say like Tim and Steph and Cast and Helena, mm-hmm. they all have a distinct voice and they all sound uh, different from each other. Um, I've, I've talked about how I think that King's Babs is a little odd. Uh, she's very funny, but I don't, think she's quite as mature and and serious as I would write her, or I've, I've seen her being written by like Gail Simone in birds of prey. Um, but that aside, I think his voicing is very complex. It's very subtle. It's very funny. Uh, it's very good. And the, not much happens, but it all builds. Like I talked about how I sort of had a frustration with the Christopher priest story because it didn't seem to build to a conclusion, Mm. even though nothing Mm. happens. There's this tension that's released. And I know the cheese is kind of silly, but Tom King's kind of a silly guy. And I appreciate that he has Batman saying cheese for a photo. It's funny, but it's also intensely uh, meaningful because he that's the only line he says in the whole story. It is a encapsulation of him wanting to capture this moment with his family together. And that was just so moving to me. This, I mean, not to hide the ball, this was my very favorite story of this issue. It was phenomenal. It's a great story. Um, I'm still not the biggest fan of Tony Daniels' art. The way he drew some of the female characters was kind of weird, but it was still a gorgeous picture of the the whole Bat family, nicely arranged, nicely composed, nicely colored by Tomu Mori. Uh, the Joel Jones parts were also really moody with all the rain and the, um, the graveyard. It was just a beautifully written beautifully drawn, beautifully composed piece of story about who Batman is. Batman is a man who lost his family and he's found another one because he's a detective. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a sort of metaphor. He's a detective. He followed the clues to find his family. He's created a new family to make the world better, to replace what was taken from him and to, to be that for other people who have also lost their own families. Mm -hmm. And that was so meaningful. And it's also got that wonderful humor that Tom King can do when he's at his best. So just great story. I agree completely. 100%. I agree that uh, some of the female characters were drawn a little bit, a little bit. uh, She's cakey is the best way to put it. Um, But at the same, but at the same time, I have to say, the way, like, although there is a little bit more, uh, there's a little bit more sexiness to some of these characters than I necessarily need in in my comics. I really like the more I see Batgirl in her new costume, the more I like that costume. The thing is, like, not taking anything against Sean Murphy because he's the one who originally created it. Not taking anything against Paul Pelletier. Uh, uh, something like that. The guy who's who's currently the artist on on Batgirl, not taking anything away from them, but like the more I see other artists start drawing Batgirl in this current version of her costume, the more I really really appreciate this new version of the costume. 
and I'm not saying anything against the Burnside. That wasn't necessarily an outfit that I really enjoyed, but I really, really, really like the way the, the, the back row costume looks. And this just accentuates the fact that it looks really, really cool. And it just looks like very classic Babs. I don't know. But yeah, um, so I, I'm I'm pretty sure it's a surprise to no one. A big thumbs up. Two thumbs up. All of the thumbs I have up. <laughs> I imagine you have two, but who knows? <laughs> All right, story number eleven: Medieval by writer Peter Tomasi, artist and artist Doug Mankey. Holy conflagration! He has seen him. He has seen the Batman. He has heard stories throughout the years of how Batman is a creature of the night who preys on the weak and broken. The Batman, he knows, is a cancer which has metastasized across Gotham. The cancer is so deep where Gotham citizens hide in fear of him. The Batman only cares about gaining control and forcing the masses to follow his code. To Batman, the deviance must decrease from its citizens to live in the light. Batman has no sense of empathy. He is blind to the world around him. He is a purveyor of pain, and his brashness needlessly puts others in danger. Batman's most grievous sin is building a family in his name with a short with short words and a powerful deed which have altered the course of youthful lives and minds forever. In the end, Batman is at the head of a masterclass with one overarching theme. Pain used diligently can serve a purpose. He says Batman faster and faster, noting that Batman begins to sound like bad man. And to him, he believes Batman is evil and Gotham deserves better than dark than the Dark Knight. Gotham will bear witness to him, the Arkham Knight, the one who has been narrating this entire time. And he will finally deliver justice to the Batman. All right. So um, to be fair... This this there's there's two things I want to say about this story. One, the art was amazing. Um, pretty much every page with Batman facing off against a villain by Doug Mankey was was great stuff. Um, the final page of the Arkham Knight, while it was still really good to look at, it wasn't as dynamic as some of the other cover or the other pages. So I wouldn't say that every single page was you know up there, but every single page of Batman facing off against one of his rogues gallery was really, really good stuff. Um, that being said, there's quite honestly a not, not a lot to this story. And, and to be fair, I don't know exactly what I was expecting. I didn't think we were going to get some sort of reveal of who the Arkham Knight was necessarily. Now, if you remember many, many, many months ago when we were talking about the Arkham Knight being revealed in Detective Comics number 1000, we were saying that Arkham Knight was going to appear because that's what DC had said. DC had said, this is going to be the first time we see the Arkham Knight in the normal DC universe outside of, you know, the universe that is the Arkham games. And I think at the time, no, not, I think I know at the time we were, we are all thinking that the lead up story from Tomasi mm-hmm. leading up to 1000 was going to kind of hint at the Arkham Knight. And that's why we analyzed overanalyzed the entire story arcs as much as we did because we kept thinking that it was leading up to the Arkham Knight and maybe the reveal was going to be in number 1000. That was not the case. As we know from the story arc that ended with 999, it ended 
a, you know, a very specific story and, and that's that. This is setting up the future story. So there's not a lot to go off of. As a setup, it's not bad. Uh, we kind of see in some ways the mission statement of the Arkham Knight and how he views Batman and why he's going to be going after Batman. And there's not a lot to it. Um, I mean, if anything, there's a great ability to showcase Doug Mankey art, which is great stuff. Um, but the story itself is its really just setting the mission statement for the Arkham Knight and really making me want to see more of what is to come with the Arkham Knight, which, I mean, let's be honest, that kind of was Tomasi's intent here because he wants you to pick up 1001 uh, when it comes out in a couple of weeks. So um, thoughts about this story? Um, This one, definitely, you cannot argue that the pictures in the background literally have nothing to do with the text. <laughs> Um, it's still very cool, very awesome to look at, but I don't know. This was one of my, this was one of my bottom threes. Like, I don't know. When, when people have to kind of convolute things and make up reasons why they hate Batman and why they're going to fight against Batman, it just, I don't know, always makes them seem insane to me. Um, I don't know. I didn't think it was, I mean, it's not even really a story, right? It's just pictures and then Arkham Knight with, I'm guessing, Gotham on fire in the background. So that's one thing I'm curious about is why is Gotham on fire? Um, it is interesting that he seems to be an out-of-towner, so it will probably be someone brand new. We won't have to worry too much about his identity because we probably won't know him. Um, I don't know. Which is interesting because if that's yeah. the direction we're going, it kind of takes the idea of the necessity of him being the Arkham Knight is something that's... I don't know, like the entire idea of the Arkham Knight was somebody who was trying to go after Bruce for retribution for his past mm -hmm. actions specifically because, it, okay, spoiler alert, I guess, for anybody who hasn't played a game that's been out for years, but the Arkham Knight in the video games was Jason Todd, um, who was never actually killed by the Joker, um, but that, that that's what happens. Um, the Joker just, you know, keeps him prisoner and Batman just thinks he's dead. Um so that's what happened in the game. This is not going to be Jason Todd. This is going right. to be somebody else. But I think the idea of introducing a character with the same moniker as Jason Todd was in the Arkham games is a weird choice only for the fact that if unless the character has something to do with Batman or can tie back to Bruce Wayne in some way, mm -hmm. it seems like a weird decision to you know, still keep the Arkham Knight name. And, and, and to be fair, maybe that was the, the decision behind that was made of, well, we're going to call him the Arkham Knight because this is a character that other, you know, that mainstream people would know. And we're going to introduce a new version of this character within normal continuity, which is fine, but then it just doesn't come across as anything different than just creating a new, you know, yeah. a new original villain. But for whatever but reason, they, they just decided to use the same name. So, yeah, because with the, I mean, further spoiler, I mean, the original Arkham Knight, I've never played the game, but, you know, I've I watched playthroughs and stuff. I mean, it's 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 Jason believing that Batman deserted him and left him behind. And it's a deeply like emotional connection and fight for Jason. Whereas if this guy just is like, I don't like the way Batman does stuff, whereas every one of these pictures is Batman being a hero, except for, you know, when he's flirting with Catwoman. Um, and then the the conclusion is I need to get rid of Batman. It's just like, then why were all these pictures of Batman being awesome? I don't know. It's just it. 
it doesn't excite me about the next storyline. I I have to say I am more in agreement with Steph on this. Um, I do agree that the art is gorgeous. Um, there's so much detail and drama in the composition, but I don't see... Tomasi did the same thing for, for Action Comics 1000. He, his story for Superman was a series of about 10 uh, splash pages um, with Superman narrating over it. And it was uh, sort of a time travel guide to the history of Superman. This one's more just things that Tomasi wanted to tell us about Batman and I see what he's doing. He's, he's accomplishing a lot of things with this, this piece. Um, he's making a statement about who Batman is uh, through the villain's eyes, but it's still sort of like he talks about who Batman is, his family, his villains, his mission. He, he's got all this information all done in the voice of the villain. He's introducing the villain. He's trying to pay tribute to what he thinks is the coolest thing about Batman, which is clearly the rogues uh, at this point. Um and so I I could ad- admire the craft that it took to do the story. I don't like a comic book that uses what's basically picture book storytelling where you have a picture and then you have text. Um, and they do connect to each other, but it's it's not storytelling. It's not sequential art. There is no reason why one of these pictures of Batman fighting a villain couldn't be flipped in order because there's no sequence there, there's no forward mm-hmm. momentum in the story and that really isn't how i like comics uh, i'm not saying that picture book storytelling is a bad form of storytelling at all i mean everyone loves a good picture book to read to their kids and there's a lot of great art in storytelling just like this art is great art it's not really a comic in the way I think of a comic. And that is not how I want to, to read a story in a comic book. Um, and the fact that he did this twice in both of the thousand issues, it, it just, it's, it's not what I wanted to read, even though I understand and appreciate the craft it took to do it. Yeah, I'm still, I, I have to say, I'm still looking forward to what could come. Um, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a questionable situation. I mean, like in some ways you don't want to give away too much information because you want to, yeah. you know, get the, the people to pick up the next issue, which is for him more important than any of these other writers, because let's be honest, he's still on the book. Um, but at the same time, I definitely see where you're, what you're saying, Ian, about, you know, it it doesn't necessarily feel like a complete story. It really just feels like someone's monologuing over a bunch of pictures. So that being said, um, I, I want to say I'm going to say neutral, but I say that hesitantly. I don't like doing what you guys do about the neutral trending up or stuff like <laughs> that. I don't like doing that. But I would say that if there was a little bit more to the story itself, it would be a thumbs up. That art really carries it for me. Um, I know I understand, like Ian said, that it has very 
very little to do with each other, and it's just a bunch of stuff not not in sync at all. But I still really, really like the art, and quite honestly, the art here carried this story more than the art in any other. Like there, there's obviously, like I said, I liked really liked the Tony Daniels splash page with the Bat Family. By far, my favorite thing in the entire book. But this story consistently had page after page after page after page of like amazing art. And I can't say that about any of the other stories. So that's my side. I'll have to say neutral again. The art is awesome, but I mean, it wasn't a story. It literally was just the introduction of, of the Arkham Knight who apparently is a stranger. So yeah, neutral. Uh, I'm going to have to say thumbs down. All right. So, uh, finally, the last thing we're going to talk about is uh, it's the supplemental material. Now, what that means is it's the stuff that doesn't fall into a story. This stuff did take place or fall into the issue between story number 10 and story number 11. Um, the, it features an original piece of art by Mikkel Janin, uh, which features Batman, Joker, and Riddler. Um, the two-page spread, which, let's be honest, I've talked about it way more than I ever really probably should have because I was kind of underwhelmed. Um, which features the Bat Family and the Rogues Gallery. And then it also featured an original piece by Amanda Connor with Paul Mounts featuring Batman remembering his parents. Um, that is, you know, stuff. Do you guys have anything to say about those that we, I mean, or I should say the two pieces that we hadn't seen before the issue released? The one by Michael Janine is, a, I don't know, it's a little bland. I don't know. It it seems monochromatic for something that has so much color. It feels it. like an unpublished cover for one of the War of Jokes and Riddles. Yes, it does. Yeah, it does very much. And then I don't I don't like the Bruce or not Bruce. I don't like that Thomas and Martha have like no eyeballs or eye irises. It's just eyeballs. That's a little weird. I. I, don't have I actually was deeply moved by the Amanda Connor piece. Um, I viewed it as sort of a, yeah. a spiritual thing where the spirits of Thomas Martha, Martha were reaching out to, mm-hmm. to touch Batman as he sits alone on a guard, well, as a grotesque. Um, and the reason they don't have irises is because they're spirits or they're ghosts. They're, they're That's reaching true. out to him and letting him know that he is doing right. He's good. They're proud of him. And that, really moved me with the pearls being stars in the sky. And I think it's just very pretty, but I also have like a, a connection to like the relationship that's going on here. And I'm very excited for Amanda Connor's issue of uh, Batman, even though it's been delayed. Yeah. And it has been delayed one week. Not that it'll be delayed in the coverage of the comic cast by any means, because it won't be, but um yeah, to be fair, the I, I definitely agree. The Mikel Janin piece did feel like some sort of cover that was unused for War of Jokes and Riddles. That obviously has to do with the fact that Joker and Riddler are present on the cover or on the piece of art. Um, the Amanda Connor Paul Mounts piece, it, I didn't think it was bad looking by any means. I just didn't understand really what it was supposed to be. And the thing is, this just goes back to what I was saying earlier. Like, how did it get decided to have these two, or in the case of Amanda Connor with Paul Mounts, how did it, how did these two pieces of art end up in the issue, along with all of these other stories, and then the two page spread by Jason Fabic? 
that's what I, I'm kind of curious about. Um, the inclusion of a lot of the artists makes perfect sense. Uh, a lot of the writers makes most of them make sense. Um, but when it comes to these uh, these art pieces, I mean, to be fair, Mikel Jannon has obviously been on Batman with Tom King for quite some time. He previously was on Grayson, but he's never been on Detective Comics. Um, and while he has been on issues of Batman with Tom King, it doesn't. It, it feels like they could have gotten somebody like Tim Sale, who has been on Batman for a much larger period of time to do an original art piece or something like that. Same thing with Amanda Connor. She's never been on any of the Bat books outside of Harley Quinn. Um, obviously, like like uh, Ian said, she will be on a issue of, of uh, Batman next is- next uh, episode. We we are co- you know we're covering the issue that she's going to be on Batman, but it just feels like odd choices, and I'm just wondering like how they get to these choices. Um, and like I said, I'm not even going to talk about the Fabic piece um, individually. The, the the elements of the the two page spread are great. Just combined, it just doesn't do it for me. So. All right, so that is the entire issue. I mean, I think we talked about this for almost as long as some movies are. Um, I think we <laughs> talked about this for like an hour and 40 minutes at least. Um, so anyway, that being said, um, so 11 stories, supplemental material, combined as a total issue, because that's how we review things here. What would you give your rating? I'm going to give this one a total of... Four out of five. See, three and a half seems too low, and four almost seems so too high. But I would say that the Tom King story and the Tinyan story almost alone would make this worth buying. So I'll say, and I love them so much, I'll go ahead and say four out of five. Yeah, I, I agree. Four out of five is very... Even the stories I didn't like added value, and... Um, this is just mm-hmm. such a fun celebration. I don't think any of these stories, except maybe the Tom King one, will be like, you know, the Eisner winner or the story that everyone remembers. I don't. I don't think they're that kind of story. There's there's stories that are celebrations of Batman and Detective Comics. And as a fan of Batman and Detective Comics, I felt celebratory. I is I felt like I was having a little party with all these writers who was like. You love Batman. I love Batman. We all love Batman together. We have these stories. <laughs> and so a, a high rating, a four out of five, definitely. And over on the site, Tony gave it four and a half out of five. So that's going to give Detective Comics number 1,000 a total of four out of five batarangs. That is all of our in-depth reviews. It's honestly the only one. And I don't know if we could have gotten any more in-depth than we did. Uh, so hopefully you greatly enjoyed that. Um, with that being said, we're going to jump straight over to Greater Gotham. Uh, starting off with March 20th, we start off with main TV books, Batman 67, we talked about in the last episode. Batman 100-page comic giant number 9, trapped in the 1800s by the mysterious egg, Batman and Green Lantern team up with Jonah Hex. Ian reviewed this, and he gave it 3 out of 5. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain. Thumbs up. Nightwing number 58, Rick Racing gets involved as the Joker executes her plan. This was by Adil. He gave it 2 out of 5. I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. 
<laughs> Neutral. Abstain. No secondary TBU books. Main DC Universe books. Justice League number 20 in the sixth dimension. The Justice League comes face to face with their own future selves as they pause to explore the wonders of the sixth dimension. Could it be too good to be true? So by Andy, he gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain, but I thumbed through it. It looked interesting. Neutral, but the art is great. Jorge Jimenez is a real star. Yep. He's pretty. Teen Titans number 28. The Teen Titans make a move to take down Deathstroke. This is by Adil. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Oh, good. I'm excited for the crossover. You've started reading it? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then secondary DC Universe books. Teen Titans Go number 33. The Teen Titans Go version of Robin appears in the issue. Moving over to March 27th. We already talked about Detective Comics number 1000. Batgirl number 33. Barbara finds out that her insane brother, James Gordon Jr., has been let out of Blackgate Prison. Is he the one behind the assassination on Alejo? This was reviewed by Jerry. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Was I supposed to like it? <laughs> because she's... Batgirl is so weird in it, but she like acknowledges that she's not herself. I don't know. Neutral. I honestly have to wonder oh. if they're hinting at something... You know something going on because the fact that she acknowledges it, I wonder if there's yeah. like if there's because she's acknowledging it, if there is a reason behind it, and it goes back to the stuff that they hinted at about the implant many many issues ago. Mm, that would be interesting. I'll give it a thumbs up. I don't think it's actually that out of character of Batgirl as we've seen since the New Fifty Two. If you remember in Batman Eternal, she was. Pretty unhinged after Jim Gordon was thrown in jail, so Mm -hmm. this felt similar. Okay, then maybe I'll give it a thumbs up. I didn't like how baddie she was being, but maybe maybe that's what she was supposed to be doing. All right. I'm sure Stella will have opinions. I'm sure Stella will have opinions. (laughs) Secondary TBU books, uh, Batman Beyond number 30. After harrowing experience with the Joker, Robin deals with the consequences and attempts to resume crime fighting beside Terry. The comeback appears short-lived after he freezes in the fight and almost dies. This is by Bill. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Abstain. Main DC Universe books, Heroes in Crisis number seven, is Wally West's story unfurls. Batman, Barry Allen, Batgirl, Harley Quinn, Booster Gold, and Blue Beetle all converge in their hunt for the truth. Ian reviewed this, and he gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Secondary DC Universe Books, Action Comics number 1009. Alfred appears in the back cave as Superman seeks help in his investigation. Dial H for Hero number one. Robin, Tim Drake, Harley Quinn, and Alfred all make brief appearance in the issue. Justice League Odyssey number seven. Azrael continues to be featured as part of the core team in the series. The Silencer number 15. Talia Al Ghul and Leviathan continue to be featured in this series. The Terrifics number 14. The Batman of Earth 17 appears alongside the Justice Incarnate team. And then finally, TBU trades and hardcovers over the past two weeks include Batman Volume 9, the Tyrant Wing trade paperback, Batman Arkham, Ra's al Ghul trade paperback, and if you're curious about what that story has to do with, check out the latest TBU collected by Andy as uh, we dive into all of the issues that are collected in that collection. Uh, Dark Knight's Metal, Dark Knight's Rising trade paperback, the New Teen Titans Volume 10 trade paperback, Batgirl, The Bronze Age, Omnibus, Volume 2, Hardcover, Harley Quinn, Volume 2, Harley Destroys the Universe, Trade Paperback. 
That is everything that's released in the past two weeks. If we gave a thumbs up, thumbs down, or a neutral rating too, then uh, you can find detailed reviews of all of those issues over on the site. Every single week we have reviews. Um, some weeks are, there's more than others, but generally speaking, Wednesdays is all of the Batman-specific titles. On Thursday, we have all of the Greater Gotham stuff, meaning all of the allies and villains that are part of the Batman universe. And then on Fridays, we have all of the DC Universe titles that tie that, that TBU characters appear in on a normal basis or have a prominent role in. So that is what you can look forward to if you head over to the site every single week. Um, that being said, before we move into our few questions we have for listener comments, uh, I want to quickly thank all of our Patreon supporters who are currently supporting us. Thank you very much for supporting us. Um, uh, thank you to Theodis, Robert, Donald, Stephanie, Brendan, Ian, um, Stanton's grave. Um, Arturo, Irwin, Captain America, Jay Dutton, and Real No Deuces. Uh, thank you all for supporting us at the $10 and $20 tiers. We greatly appreciate your support. Um, in addition to that, uh, just as an update for those of you who are wondering, some of the new content that is recently released um, that we that we published specifically for our Patreon supporters over the past couple of weeks, we did a couple of new ones. We had a TV Raw about all the recent Batman rumors and the the Batman film rumors, I should say. Um, also, we did a TBU Extra, which focused on reacting to the recent Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles trailer. And then uh, the most recent episode that uh, released as we are recording this was called TB Raw, Wake the F Up. And it basically deals with the recent co comments coming from Zack Snyder um, and his feeling of whether or not Batman is a murderer or should be perceived as a murderer. So if you are interested in a lot of extra content and the, 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 for, for example, the TBU raw that I just mentioned, that one was actually almost an hour long. Um, so there's lots of extra content. If you are looking for extra content and if you're not looking for extra content that you want to pay for, obviously we have tons of shows over on the site that uh, you can also take a listen to one of our newest shows, Batman, books, The Dark Knight in Prose, um, takes a look at different prose titles and does a deep dive into them. Uh, currently, Lane is looking at the Batman 1989 novelization, um, and we'll be wrapping that up shortly. I mean, there's all kinds of other ones, obviously, Back with the Oracle, Robin Everyone Loves the Drake, Bat Fans, um, even there's new, still new episodes of Gotham Chronicle releasing and up until Gotham actually wraps up next month or this month, I should say. So that all being said, there's lots of content, but we greatly appreciate your support if you are so able to give it on Patreon. Uh, that money helps fund the website domain and, and maintenance on the site and all of the stuff that comes with running the site as big as it has become. It obviously has cost more and more money as we grow and grow and grow. So your support is greatly appreciated. That being said, we're going to dive straight into our listener comments. <laughs> Like I said, we have a, just a few comments. All of our comments come from our, our members of our Discord who's purposely put their comments out. So our very first comment comes from Palo Tigren from, like I said, Discord. He says, you're in a bat family high school. What class does each member teach? Okay. Uh, 
to 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 not I don't want to cut this one exactly short, but there's a lot of members of the Bat family, and obviously <laughs> there's a lot of classes. So I'm going to try to trim this into a more precise thing where we're not sitting here ages and ages and ages trying to decide what everyone's going to teach. Pick one member of the Bat family, um, and then say you're a member of the Bat family, and then we'll come back to you and you'll say, so, just so we don't have any repeats. So, Steph, who are you picking? Oh, gosh. Uh, Damien. Okay, and I'm going to take a wild guess and say Ian's going to pick Stephanie Brown. Do you have to ask? No, didn't, didn't need to ask. And I will pick um, Barbara Gordon. Uh, oh, come on. It's it's bad. I know. it's a, Okay, I won't pick that one. That one that would be too obvious. Um, I will pick Dick Grayson. Um, so Dick Grayson, I would say the thing that makes the most sense is that he's a gym teacher, and he is also happens to be the gymnastics coach for the high school. I mean, that makes the most sense to me. And I'm one who looks for things that make the most sense, not creativity, because that's not me. So this is a little bit of a stretch, but I had the most obnoxiously smart but physics teacher in college that I just wanted to slap because he thought he was so much smarter than everyone else. And that's how I imagined he would be. So just because of... That teacher, who I shall not name, in case he's a bad man. In other words, it doesn't matter what he's teaching. He would doesn't matter what class he is. Yeah. Smart be a smart butt. Yeah, it'll be a smart ass. And uh, Steph, she has a lot of skills. She could be a gymnastics teacher, but we already have one of those. So she's going to be the school nurse, and she's also <laughs> going to teach music because she was really good at piano when she was a kid. All right. All right, so that's that one. Our next comment comes from ACN via Discord. And he says, have any of your opinions changed on the new 52 now that we're several years removed from it? I ask because I've read a lot of the new 52 for my next TBU collected review, and it's really good. I much prefer it over the current titles are give out uh, what the current titles are giving us. It makes me sad to say that. Well, oh, uh, I can't say that my opinion of the new 52 has really changed. There are elements of the new 52 that were good. There's a lot of elements that I really, really did not like. And to be fair, and I and I'm and I'm not saying this like as like a uh, what's the best way to put that? I'm not I'm not one of those fans who's like, this is not my version of Batman. Like I, I'm willing to accept different versions of Batman or different versions of characters. It's not it's not about that. It's more about I want the characters to be represented in, in a way that makes the most sense for their character. Batgirl is actually a perfect example. Like to be clear, the new 52 Batgirl in the beginning, I despised that version of Batgirl. I thought it was horrible. I thought it was a major, major step down from her being Oracle pre flashpoint. Um, but then they decided to morph the character into the Burnside version. And while I wasn't a huge fan of the Burnside version of it, because I felt like it kind of, in some ways, dumbed the character down, um, or made I, I I shouldn't say dumb it down because it really wasn't dumbing down the character. It was more of like just like making the character, I don't know, like less mature. I guess is the best way to put it. Not dumbing down, but just making her a little bit less mature. And I don't, I didn't like that version of it. But it was a step. She whined a lot. Yeah, she did. 
And, uh, but, but that version, like, but they made a stride to like make the character better. They realized that they made a mistake by characterizing her the way she was in the beginning of the new 52, the Burnside version of her was more of like trying to get back to that. Um, luckily what Margaret Scott is currently doing with Batgirl is feels like it's even getting better, taking another step away from, um, it's like a slow process. And I feel like this version of Batgirl so far, like, obviously there's a lot more that we need to get of the character to really make a full judgment, but I really, really like what's going on in Batgirl right now. I, and I like the fact that it feels like. Batgirl, like Barbara Gordon as Batgirl should be. This is like what I think of Barbara Gordon as, not the immature, whiny version of the character from Burnside, who's, you know, like there's so many, there were so many different things about the relationships that she was in that just bugged me. Like, that's not who Barbara is. Like, sure, her relationship with Dick Grayson and other people have been focused on at various points, but that's not who the character was. And it just felt like that was such a big focus during the Burnside run. And of course, I'm just stuck on sticking on Batgirl because this is my example. But the reality of it is, like, they've done this with other characters. You know, like Scott Snyder's Batman, for the most part, was good, uh, but Batman in Detective Comics did not was not as good as as I believe the Detective Comics, even even the horrible James Robinson run. Um, if you take all of the issues from Rebirth of detective comics and compare them to everything that we had during the new 52 in detective comics. I still think that everything in rebirth is better. I think it depends on the title and the, the, the certain thing uh, or the certain character that we're, we're, we're talking about, but to be fair, um, there was a lot of really, really bad stuff during the new 52. And I have this like horrible memory of like a year of my life, just, doing nothing but complaining about so much stuff. And, and, and trust me when I say the uh, listeners knew that was the case because they were not happy with the fact that all we did was rag on so many books, but to be fair, that was 2012 to 2013 for anyone who's looking at our archives. And it was bad. It was really bad. I I, I mean, like I, I dread a situation where we get back to that. And like, we've had moments like the stuff that's happening with Dick Grayson right now is not ideal that's putting it very lightly, obviously, but um, it's not nearly as bad as that's just one book. Like there's still other books that are doing a great job with the characters. And there were so many books that were just doing horrible, horrible things to the characters during the new 52. It's a very dark, dark, dark time. Yeah. I mean, even if you don't like what's happening in, in Nightwing right now, at least like, He's starting to slowly get in touch with what makes him Nightwing, which is okay. But yeah, as someone who who didn't really read the New Fifty Two, but just kind of listened to the podcast, I don't. I feel like you guys have a lot more nice things to say now than when you were just giving up on trying to say nice things. It's so hard. It's so hard. <laughs> so hard. I um. There's a there's a couple things about the the new fifty two that I, I wrote down. I actually did some notes for this. Um, the best stuff uh, is the stuff that tends to be recollected. So uh, ACN is one of our, our new reviewers, and he's done some really great stuff on our our collected, and he's doing a great job on our new Justice League reviews. Um, but 
Imagine if you actually lived in the 1960s and you were listening to pop radio. You'd have things like, you know, the Beatles, the stuff that we think of today when we think of the 60s. It was the greats. But you also had a bunch of trash pop hits <laughs> that nobody listens to now. So if your perspective is, you know, this is the collected stuff. This is the essential editions. Well, those are the things that are going to get recollected. They're mm-hmm. the things that sold well enough, that made an impact, that had a really high level of quality. You're not reading. I mean, the New 52 was started with 52 titles, and it went up to something like 100 titles a month. There was a lot of trash in the New 52. And to be fair, there's a fair amount of trash in Rebirth, too. Um, there's also stuff that I just don't care to read. Um but there was a lot of just not good stuff being published in the new 52. It was a huge effort. Um, and I think that we're fortunate these days to have the, the experience of time and, and sales to sort of filter out some of that stuff. But if you're actually living through it, like Dustin had to, or, you know, people who listen to the podcast through Dustin, there was terrible stuff. I agree that Gail Simone's Batgirl run was bad. Uh, Burnside was an attempt to change, but I also don't think it was that great. Uh, Catwoman was just bad until Genevieve Valentine took over, and then it was really good, but very different, and so it struggled with sales. Um, I actually left uh, DC Comics. I read a couple of Marvel comics, but I left from end of 2011 to beginning of 2014 because they got rid of so much that I cared about in Batman. The, the bat family was decimated. The relationships were hostile. Um, and so I think a lot of the perspective of people who say, Oh, the new 52 was bad is also, we remember before the new 52, we remember Batman reborn. We remember Batman Inc. We remember Grant Morrison. We remember Paul Dini's detective run. We remember Greg Rucka and Ed Brubaker in the early 2000s. We remember no man's land. We remember nightfall. And, um, the New 52 literally threw, I'd say, 50% of that in the trash. And so there's a lot of bitter feelings on my part about that. And I really don't think that it replaced those things with better things. We we lost Stephanie Brown and Cassandra Kane and Huntress. And even though we got all those people back, what we got instead of them for three years was Duke Thomas and Harper Rowe. I don't hate either of those characters, but if you compare them to Stephanie Brown, Cassandra Kane, and... Um, Helena Bertinelli, they're, they are not the kind of characters that build a universe in, in as exciting a way. They don't have the relationships that push them forward into the top tier of characters. So they got rid of really beloved fan characters and, and relationships and replaced them with things that clearly haven't caught on uh, as much as some of them are interesting. I'm, I'm not a hater of those characters, but they aren't in my heart the same way that these other characters were that they got rid of for, for no good reason. Um, so the new 52, uh, because I was really invested before it came and it got rid of so much, uh, I really haven't changed my opinion. It's still something, it's still a very dark time for me in the Batman. And to be clear, you, you touched on something that I thought was really, really, I've never looked at it like this. So many of you have known that I have complained about uh, Harper Rowe and and Duke Thomas multiple times over the course of the, 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 you know, the history of this, this podcast, but Ian makes a really good point. The fact is that those characters were replacing these other characters that we had known and, you know, grown with and appreciated for a very long period of time. And it's interesting because when you said, 
that those characters had relationships with other characters, I really started to think about that and think to myself, you know, Duke Thomas, who has he had relationships with? He was introduced in Batman. He had, you know, he was in some ways connected to Bruce Wayne and, and, you know, as Batman, but even now, all this time later, like, obviously he's going to be popping up in Batman and the out or Batman, the Batman and the outsiders um, in May. But like he's he's never really had any sort of character development to include him with the other characters within the Bat Family. Like Damien came in and Damien was you know a brat up front, but then you know you paired him with Dick Grayson, and then you see all this you know you see this character kind of mature and has to deal with somebody outside of you know this idolization that he has with his father. He has to deal with Dick Grayson because his father's not around. You have to see the jealousy that we see from Tim Drake in relation to Damien kind of taking the spot of Robin. Like you see that kind of stuff and the versions of the characters, you know, of, you know, spoiler, she had relationships with Tim Drake. She had relationships with Barbara Gordon. Um, you know, these characters were focused in multiple different facets. It wasn't like they were just one character linked to one member of the Bat family and never interacted. You know, Duke Thomas has showed up with the Bat family in various, you know, various points uh, since, you know, he showed up. But at the same time, the character is still one of those characters that really thinking about it, other than just appearing alongside some of the other members of the Bat family, what do we, like, what interactions has he really had? Harper Rowe is, you know, very similar. She's probably got a little bit more just because we ended up focusing on her linked to Stephanie Brown. And, you know, we, we had her linked with Cassandra Kane um, during the Eternal run. But the thing is, like, it's one of those things where that character had a little bit more time and but it wasn't it also wasn't the fact that that uh, the person who created the character was the actual one building the character up either um, when you look at somebody like Stephanie Brown or Cassandra they were brought in as kind of like secondary characters and then slowly were built into you know more prominent roles within the comics and then could hold their own as a full member of the bad family these characters these other characters were just kind of like thrusted into it and I know I've said this a ton of times but like it really does make a lot more sense thinking of it from the perspective of these other you know that these these characters that i really really had a huge disdain for with harper Rowe and duke thomas really did take the spot of some of these other characters and while we weren't getting these other characters there was no real desire to make these new characters really part of the bat family they were just they were just there and they were just holding a slot that really was taking a slot away from characters that we already knew and had grown with and appreciated so that that, that you know that puts in a a little bit more of an interesting perspective to me at least yeah yeah you have to have that heart like i'm not i'm again newer to comics but <laughs> i'm watching uh, my hero academia um on Funimation and it's the best anime of all time and you're meeting these characters and you're just kind of introduced to them and, and you don't like them and they're kind of irritating but then you get your backstory and they get a form of, uh, they're bonded through some adventures with, with the main characters or or you, you get to and just unfolding these different characters and there's a lot of characters in that show and you start to love every single one of them and they take their time with storytelling where I remember <laughs> one one thing Stella would always give Dustin a hard time about is is his phrase of using that that um, Harper Rose being shoved down your throat and I think that's 
in light of, of this conversation, that makes perfect sense. It's like there is no growth. There's no love. There's no I want her to be there. There's no there's no real reason for a relationship to have formed. She's just there because Snyder wanted her to be part of the yeah. plot. And he's just ramming her in there. And it, it, it makes sense. And so it seems like a lot of the New 52's new characters that were created kind of did that. And the other part of it. And, you know, some of them... Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say... I was going to say, like... like Because uh, Wall- Wallace, I guess should, I should say, Wallace is stuck around. And I'm enjoying I'm enjoying Kid Flash in, in Teen Titans. And that's a character that, that I think they did eventually, you know, work on. I don't know if it's a rebirth development or if they started that in the New 52. But it's someone, you know... I like him. He's cool. He's got some... I appreciate where they're going with his character. Um, so not everything about the New 52 is bad, but they definitely, I feel like, had to rework, especially what they started in the beginning. Either check out what they did at the beginning or or rework it to be more human. Yeah. And the one other lasting comment I want to put about the New 52 is when you look back on the New 52... Think about how many different new villains that they created for the New 52 in the variety of different titles. And look at how many of them are still being used now. Not very many. Just saying that. All right. Our next comment comes from Paul via the Discord. So he says, so I dug Detective 1000. I have a question, though. I feel like they've just decided, hey, artist, what Batman costume do you want to draw? The yellow oval comes back in the issue, and it's going to be featured prominently in the Three Jokers, but solicitations still featured feature the hush suit. I find that interesting. I wonder if it's because we've seen so many variations of that costume. Thoughts? All right, so I've got a simple response or a simple answer to this question, which is basically uh, I'm pretty sure they were allowed to draw whatever version of Batman they wanted. I don't think it needed to be the only one that probably... Well, no, I wouldn't even say that because I was going to say like maybe the Doug Mankey version because it is setting up a story needed to be a certain version. But mm-hmm. to be clear, as we as we discussed, nothing that is actually shown relates back to the thing. And all of what we see could relate back to something that's happened obviously well into the past. So I honestly don't think that they were told that they needed to feature any specific bat suit. Um, I think that they were able to show off whatever they wanted to um, and – it didn't matter because, I mean, in, to a degree, a lot of these stories are supposed to be a celebration of, of Batman, and he's had a variety of different bat suits over the years. So I don't think that the, anybody was, you know, I don't think anybody was going to sit there and say you need to do this version. Um, as far as the yellow oval coming back, and obviously we've heard this before. Doomsday Clock is taking place in the future, and in Doomsday Clock, he has the yellow oval as well. And Three Jokers is supposed to include the Yellow Oval uh, because that's also taking place sometime in the future. Um, presumably, it's not releasing. Well, we know. I say that we know, but it's not going to. Re- Three Jokers isn't coming out until Doomsday Clock wraps. But then again, Doomsday Clock has been delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. So who's to say it might not come out? But um, I would assume Doomsday Clock number twelve is going to be solicited for July. Three Jokers, according to Jason Fabic, isn't coming until late this year, which means it could be as early as October, but it's probably going to be more like the November series because November tends to be a month that they kick things off too. So um, it also it'll also happen to be um, 
two months after Snyder's last night wraps up too. So there's that aspect of it as well. But I would say that um, while the yellow oval is entirely possible to pop back up, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I feel like Doomsday Clock had a extremely large focus on what was going to come. The delays have clearly put things off. Uh, we talked about this when we talked about the button and um, – more recently, we were when we were analyzing, you know, the the button story after the fact when we were talking about the last Flash crossover that just happened in Batman. The the thing is, we don't really know whether or not Doomsday Clock everything's going to sync up. The entire intent and the entire, I guess, uh, marketing perspective of the series was yes, this takes place in the future, and by the end of doomsday clock everything will sync back up and you'll be able to know exactly how this all fits together that's not the case because at this point doomsday clock is coming out you know months and months and months months after it was originally supposed to end so everything's changed nothing they said originally is going to do a you know is going to be the same so it's hard to say um do you know as a as a follow-up question to our fans and to you guys too um, do you want to see the yellow oval on a normal basis, or do you think it's something that's you know is not necessary? I think that the big issue to answer Paul's question is that Johns is not talking to anyone. Nothing that he's doing connects to anything that Bendis or Snyder or King or Will Wilson over on Wonder Woman are doing with the characters. Nothing connects to those things. Um. And most of the people that he brought in during Rebirth, like the Benson sisters, are no longer writing comics for DC. So he doesn't have any collaborators to help him set up his own stuff. And he's not talking to anyone uh, to have them set up his stuff. So I don't think we're going to see the Yellow Oval. But do you want to see it? As long as it's not Adam West's Oval... (laughs) Because I was just looking through through costumes throughout the years, and I was like, "Gosh, the oval looks bad in real life." <laughs> but I don't know. I like it, and I like the idea of it. It you know drawing people's eyes, especially since you know he's not really working with Robin anymore. It does make sense for that bright color to to pop on his chest. I don't know. I like that. I like that concept. In terms of the answer to the Dustin's question, um, the oval's from a different time. I think. Um, I think the yellow outline that Capullo drew for the Rebirth suit is the closest we're likely to see in a modern design. And I liked that uh, as an homage, but I, I don't necessarily think we need an oval again today. Um, it's, it's just a simple and rounded and kind of comforting shape. Um, so I think it's unlikely to show up again until we have Batman in a more... Uh, sort of stable place right now, all the Batman stories are fairly dark um, and they're kind of sharp edged. So I don't, I don't see DC um, going with the yellow symbol uh, anytime soon. Uh, The only thing I could see is if someone in the movies was like, I really want to do that Tim Burton yellow oval and then maybe they do it for synergy. But I mean, honestly, all comics have been moving away for, from synergy for the last four years. So even then, I think it's unlikely that we're going to, as I said, it feels like it's from a different time. So I also don't really want to. The closest I'd say is what we saw with the rebirth suit. 
And I, I personally, I don't need to need the oval. I mean, I know a lot of people are attached to the oval because it's, you know, it, it goes, it harkens back to the 1989 film. But to me, that's not my Batman film. Like that's not the definitive Batman film for me. I never saw the Batman film, the 1989 film, until I was probably, you know, years after the fact, because when that film released, I was only four, four years old, three years old. So, I mean, like, it, it, it's not something that I identify with when I think of Batman. Um, the first movies that I saw as they released were Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, and we all know how that turned out. So, um, so that being said... How do you feel about nipples and on your back? Those costume? don't have the oval, do no, they? They're slick. They, they have an. They don't have a yellow oval. They, the the Batman Forever one is just the symbol on the chest, very similar to like the version that we see with uh, you know in in the Nolan films. But then it, there is a there is an oval with a bat symbol in Batman Robin, if I remember correctly. But it's not. It's just all the same color, so it's just the symbol, not any sort of like emblem. Um, but. I mean, ultimately, it just comes down to, I mean, like, different people have different versions that they really like. Um, I will say that the Capullo version from, you know, a couple years back that he designed for the beginning of Rebirth, I didn't have any issues with that. I, I still like the Hush version, um, but I'm not necessarily attached to anything specific. Personally, the Yellow Oval does feel just a tad dated. And I think it's just because I associate it so much with something that came out 30 years ago. So um, I don't need to see it. I mean, if it's, if the, you know, if, if Fabic is doing three jokers and he intends for it to be there because John's told him to, then, you know, that's that. I mean, we all know that Batman has multiple bat suits, so it's not unfeasible that he has one that has the symbol that's yellow on it and one that doesn't. And he's wearing them around the same time. Like, I'm not going to, like, it's a comic and we can suspend certain amounts of reality to make things make sense. So it's not that big of a deal to me. So, I mean, like, I'm not opposed to them having it, but I don't, I don't need to have it. And I don't, I don't, that's not the symbol or the logo that I, I immediately say this is the one I want. So I'm fine with a different version. All right, so that is all of our comments. If you have a comment or question or something that you'd like us to discuss on the next episode, be sure to leave your comments basically anywhere you can reach us. Um, you can leave them on Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube, and I'll get those plugged in. I strongly encourage you to join our Discord because there's conversations going on all the time. More and more people are joining, and the more people that are on there, the more conversations that are, are happening on a normal, frequent basis. So I encourage you to get over there, and that's also your ability to chat with us on a more regular basis because we are all, all of us, including the other staff members, that uh, write stuff over on the site are all on the discord and uh, you can get in touch with us if you have, you know, specific questions or things like that. In addition to that, you can uh, leave us reviews or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all these news and videos from the Batman universe. We also have an, Insta yeah, an, Instagram. an Instagram, which like I said, <laughs> I keep forgetting to say, but we have an Instagram as well. Um, and, and interestingly enough, that Instagram is, 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 pretty pretty uh it's jumping up pretty quickly i don't i don't know how but it just is um i think it actually is the the amount of followers on there is it's just slowly getting up to the same amount of followers we have on facebook which is crazy but that's what it is it's social media for you certain ones just work better than others but anyway um if you are so inclined to 
if you are interested in any way, shape, or form to get involved with TBU, um, whether it be reviewing comics or writing original content for the Batman universe or regarding the Batman universe, be sure to get in touch with me, TBU, at thebatmanuniverse.net. Uh, we're always looking for news writers, comic book reviewers, content creators, um, all kinds of different people, as well as the production side of things, editing, you know, video editing, audio editing, graphic design. If you have any of those talents you'd like to share with us at TBU, get in touch with me and we will be sure to find something for you to help us out with because there's all kinds of stuff that we're always needing help with. Outside of that, uh, be sure to check out all the other podcasts we have to offer. Recently on the latest episode of Bat Books for Beginners, uh, Gotham City Sirens Union was reviewed, so you can check that out. Um, and there's, like I said earlier, there's new episodes of our newest episode, our newest show, Batman Books, The Dark Knight in Prose, Bat Fans. Uh, there's a new episode of Back with, there's newer episodes of Back with Oracle, Robin Everyone Loves Drake. Another show that we recently started up, which I know I've mentioned before, is Everyone Loves Young Justice. Um, so there's lots of shows. We've got all kinds of stuff, all kinds of content, and there's all kinds of content over on the site. So be sure to check out all that stuff. Greatly appreciated, and uh, we will see you guys in a couple weeks. Uh, this is Dustin. This is Steph. And this is Ian. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Mm-hmm.